The Sisu Way with Scott McGee, episode 33, Perseverance and Gratitude with NFL athlete Eric Swope. Keep your dream. I have a friend named Monty Roberts who owns a horse ranch in San Isidro. He had let me use his horse ranch to put on a fundraising event to raise money for youth at risk programs. The last time I was there, he introduced me by saying, I want to tell you why I let you use my horse ranch. It all goes back to a story about a young man who is the son of a horse trainer who would go from stable to stable, racetrack to racetrack, farm to farm, training horses. As a result, the boy's high school career was always interrupted. When he was a senior, he was asked to write a paper about what he wanted to be when he grew up. That night, he wrote a seven-page paper describing his goal of someday owning a horse ranch. He wrote about his dream in great detail. He even drew a diagram of a 200-acre ranch, showing the location of all the buildings, the stables, and the track. He then drew a detailed floor plan for a 4,000-square-foot house that would sit on a 200-acre dream ranch. He put a great deal of his heart into the project, and the next day he handed it to his teacher. Two days later, he received his paper back. On the front page was a large red F with a note that read, See me after class. The boy with the dream went to see the teacher after class and asked, Why did I receive an F? The teacher said, This is an unrealistic dream for a young boy like you. You have no money. You come from an itinerant family. You have no resources. Owning a horse ranch requires a lot of money. You have to buy the land. You have to pay for the original breeding stock. And later you have to pay large stud fees. There's no way you could ever do it. Then the teacher added, If you will rewrite this paper with a more realistic goal, I will reconsider your grade. The boy went home and thought about it long and hard. He asked his father what he should do. His father said, Look, son, you have to make up your own mind on this. However, I think it is a very important decision for you. Finally, after sitting with it for a week, the boy turned in the same paper, making no changes at all. He stated, You can keep the F, and I'll keep my dream. Monty then turned to the assembled group and said, I tell you this story because you are sitting in my 4,000 square foot house in the middle of my 200 acre horse ranch. I still have that school paper framed over the fireplace. He added, The best part of the story is that two summers ago, that same school teacher brought 30 kids to camp out on my ranch for a week. The, the teacher was leaving. He said, Look, Monty, I can tell you this now. When I was your teacher, I was something of a dream stealer. During those years, I stole a lot of kids' dreams. Fortunately, you have had enough gumption not to give up on yours. So the moral of the story is, don't let anyone steal your dreams. Follow your heart, no matter what. No dream is too big or small when one works hard to live it. One should always try making dreams come true, no matter what. Like my guest Eric Swope says, never let anything inhibit you from chasing a dream. No matter what adversity, setback, or challenge you may face, you must always keep fighting. Don't give up. The train keeps moving. This is the CC Way, a show about grit, character, gratitude, service, and what it means to choose strength. I'm Scott McGee, a mindful warrior on a path of gratitude and service who loves to connect with unconquerable souls. Now, I share that story for a few reasons. There is the obvious reason, 
which I covered, but there are two more pieces that I would like to highlight. I want you to realize something about keeping your dream. And it's my hope by bringing this to your awareness, you will use it to self-regulate yourself and the people around you. Don't let your own will be the reason you fail. Keep that will strong and unconquerable. There are too many dreams buried in the cemetery of collapsed wills. Not yours, so be unconquerable. The next piece is about the teacher. Be careful not to become seduced by weakness. Don't let people in your world off the hook. Guide them, support them. I think we agree the world has enough haters. If you aren't going to help, move out of the way and evaluate the true purpose of your relationship with that person. Guide, enhance, and support people's dreams. External forces stifle enough as it is. And guess what? If they fail, good. Face that with them and focus on the lesson so you both grow. All right, enough of my ranting. Uh, sorry, uh, I have not recorded in a while, but I'm very excited to do this particular episode. Very briefly, uh, because I want to listen to my very special guest more than I want to talk, but because I've already done enough of that, uh, this project means a lot to me and it's something I absolutely love to do. In fact, it's something I have to do, but there are costs and not, not money. Well, a little bit of money. But this is a passion project centered on love and gratitude. And I told myself before hitting record on the first episode, I would not allow this love thing become a stress thing. When the passion, timing, and love is too overwhelming and I feel it's something I can't not do, I make the conscious decision to dedicate the emotional and intellectual resources to do the episode, guest and listeners justice. And lately, I have not had the... Uh, the mental or emotional resources to allocate to this show. I've had to prioritize on what is most important in my life, and that is my family, my profession, and organizing some stuff within me. That being said, I hope you understand what I mean and also take something away from that. We have to be good at our stuff, and sometimes that means prioritizing and recalibrating those resources. And I know you feel me. Now on to my super special guest and probably my new best friend, uh, who I've been wanting to spend time with on this platform for the past six months. And this is NFL tight end Eric Swope. Now, Eric was brought to my attention by our mutual friend, Bijan Haravi, who first told me this, and I quote, this is a man I hope who has the chance to share his story with the world through your lens. And when he said, this is a man, he meant it. He was as, uh, uh, as excited and as he was proud of you as a man who happens to be an NFL athlete. And at that time, you would just score two touchdowns on a Thursday night football game against my Patriots, <laughs> but more on that later. But what really grabbed my attention, you know, grabbed my, like, my soul attention was Eric's journey, his journey from basketball to the NFL without ever having played football. Even more impressive is Eric's mental fortitude perseverance, humility, and gratitude. He is a bringer of light who is in the Pro Bowl of men, not just NFL athletes. And his bio will tell you that he played basketball at the U, University of Miami, and despite having never played football, was signed as an undrafted free agent by the Indianapolis Colts in 2014. He started his first game against the Broncos in 2016. But he is a man who embraces setbacks and turns them into comebacks. 
how you handle yourself is everything. And the best of us excel in the face of adversity. That struggle is where true strength is forged. Now, that being said, Eric, first of all, welcome. <laughs> thank you for having me. Um, and also, thank you for allowing me to, to speak there for a few minutes. Um, I kind of want to start here at the beginning. And, and there's something that has stood out to me. And that is, one, your family. And we'll talk about it in, in, in more in detail. Mm -hmm. And humility. But where does your grit come from? Um, that stems from the men in my family. Um, I was blessed to be around my great-grandfather, uh, my grandfather, and, and my dad as well. And very early on, it was brought to my attention what it meant to be a swope man. Um, my great-grandfather you know, moved the family to Los Angeles and, and seek a better opportunity. And he had a roofing company uh, right out in Hawthorne, kind of L.A. area. And he would hire anybody off the street, just give them an opportunity to better themselves, to do something to help the community. Um, he would give everything he had to, to give my grandfather everything he wanted. And what I got to see as he got older and being around my grandfather as a young boy, I heard this story actually fairly recently. So before there were seat belts, <laughs> my grandfather, every weekend, he was living here in South Central Los Angeles, working in Corona. So he had a, a train shipping yard. And, you know, he's working 12-hour shifts, driving, commuting these long hours. And every weekend, he told my dad and his two sisters, my aunts, we'll do anything you want on the weekend, from Santa Barbara to San Diego. You guys sit together, make a plan. We'll pack all the kids in the neighborhood up. We'll do something great. You guys make it. So he said for most of their childhood, they just packed in the car and went. And then with my father, um, he we grew up in Lake Elsinore. He works in Torrance. It's almost virtually the same commute, 75 miles. He's been doing it since my brother was a couple years old. I think he's coming up on, I want to be wrong, I think 29 years of making this same commute. Wow. Um, yeah, 12 hour shifts. His car has well over 400,000 miles on it. Oh <laughs> yeah. And to this day, I've never heard that man complain about one thing. And the, the sacrifices he's made for my brother and our, our family. Um, I mean, it's it's unbelievable. And I'm, I feel very lucky. So with that, um, it all stems from wanting to, you know, continue on the lineage of being a swope man. Shout out to your parents. <laughs> They're fantastic. <laughs> and that's Denise and Gerald. Yes, correct. That was one of the, so one of the, the obviously uh, when, when, what Bijan told me, and I was like, okay, like check. Like when someone says that, mm -hmm. I'm like, especially someone like him, I'm not, I don't just like brush it aside. Mm -hmm. I'm like, all right, let me go look. And one of the first like interviews I saw of you was when you were freshman at Miami, right? Oh God. <laughs> well, no, stay with me. <laughs> okay. You were like fresh, fresh out of high school. It was probably that summer. Uh -huh. Um, and you're getting interviewed, you know, you're all young <laughs> at this point in time. It's eight years ago. Yeah. And the way you were speaking and 
how you came across with such like humility, but also like a, a, almost like you were smiling in the face of adversity and, and like quietly confident that you could, that you were going to grow and, and conquer whatever that adversity was. And at that time it was being new to college basketball mm-hmm. and then the speed and understanding how to play defense and, and you're even talking about your, uh, your outer perimeter game and needed work. Right. Oh yeah. So, but I was seeing this, I was like, this is a young kid who just grew up in California. Now is across the country and, and speaking to media and you had such like a poise about you that I was like, you must have amazing parents. Now I know there's people out there that can grow into something like that without that. Oh yeah. But thinking back and understanding what the role of parents are, especially now being one, one, it gives me a whole other like sense of gratitude for what my parents did. Cause you don't really, I don't I mean, it sounds like you are very aware of it, but a lot yeah. of people don't really aren't aware of it until they start seeing maybe some other situations. Yeah. And so, um, that ability to raise a man like you is a testament to your family and to your parents. So I give them props. Well, thank you. They'll, they'll appreciate that. They, uh, it's difficult, especially it sounds like, especially like, holy moly, if podcasts are, well, there's podcasts now for your dad (laughs) on all those chips and stuff, but that, you know, and I get that vibe a lot on your, um, you know, your social media and stuff and very family centered. So Mm -hmm. that's really cool. Thank you. Yeah. Much appreciated. Yeah. The, my perception of social media is probably different than most. Um, and it actually kind of started, well, social media hit me early in my co- in, in college, like my sophomore year, especially Instagram in, yep. in particular. And it was at a time where the University of Miami was under a lot of scrutiny. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we had a lot of people, you know, watching us and keeping eyes on us. And it was the first time feeling like people are watching, you know, especially when I got to college, coming from California, people want to know who are you. And uh, I had a Facebook account at the time and I'm, you know, just trying to meet the people in my class and people are talking to me like they already know me. They've read my page, you know, they, they asking me about Lake Elsinore, California, which if you live in California, most people don't know where Lake Elsinore, California is. And it made me realize that one, I'm not an extrovert. (laughs) It made me very uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And two, I need to make sure I really understand what the world is seeing when they look me up. And in that scrutiny, and we started doing kids camps, I realized that the people that were watching me were children. And kids get enough of you know, profanity and violence and the things that basically they shouldn't be seeing. So I said, if I can be a bright light to one child, then I'm going to do it through my social media. You know, it's not, I don't have the biggest platform or anything mm-hmm. like that, but every time I post or like a picture or whatever, it's always with that in the back of my mind. Well, that's good. And keep that up because in the future, and, and I don't know if you've heard me say this, but at some point in time, you're going to have some kids that are going to look up everything you're doing now. Mm-hmm. And you're going to see it. Ain't, there's nothing on the internet that's going to be <laughs> hidden. Like yeah. there's no, like, this is the infancy of it all. Very and true. social media is such, still such a new thing that there's nothing that you touch anywhere that's not going to be discoverable by the next generation. Yeah, that's very true. So you're, essentially you're leaving, like what kind, of, what kind of story are you leaving behind? 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah I, how do you want to be viewed and scrutinized or, you know, when your kids say, oh, you know, my dad's a superhero. Everyone's father was a superhero at one point. Yep. And then they can actually go fact check you now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, there's, I mean, yes, for sure. But there's also the, you know, there's the social media footprint and then like there's the real life footprint. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, so either way, being mindful of it is the lesson there. Yeah. Um, you know, social media is still like a trippy thing. And I see, I, the, the, the lens that I put through is if I'm talking to my kids when they're 20. Interesting. Just trying to make sure that. Well, outside of um, being expressive, I guess, and then also using it as a, as a creative outlet for myself. Mm-hmm. Because there's times where, most of the times when I, especially if I'm writing a lot, I don't just like, oh, I want to make a post, so what do I want to say? Mm-hmm. It's more like, oh my gosh, I have this feeling, and I'll pull over, or I'll do it right there. Oh, wow. Because I, I, I ride that wave of passion. That you can't, I, I can't just necessarily create it. It doesn't just come out. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I just don't want to say anything. Oh, yeah. um, and so knowing and, and being around a lot of um, you know, unfortunate circumstances or people passing away or whatnot, I know that they're going to find that. And so it's like if something ever happened to me, there's a bunch of cool lessons on social media for them to listen or, and learn from. Yeah, that's a great thought process. It also is kind of morbid though, right? It is. There's, there's a dark side to it, but that's, that's life. It's reality. Yeah, exactly. If, you, if nothing is sunshine and rainbows, you learn mm-hmm. that very quickly. Yeah. And the, to me, the, I'm not going to say the faster, but the quicker that you can comprehend that, then you handle circumstances a lot better. You be, you build coping mechanisms. You mm-hmm. find your creative outlets when you realize that life, everything doesn't just work out. Yeah. It was Rocky said the world ain't all sunshine and rainbows. <laughs> it's a mean and nasty place. <laughs> anyway. So, th- I mean, that's where the memento mori stuff comes from for me. Okay. okay. Like remember that you will, it's a morbid thing, but re- remember that you will die or remember and it helps you appreciate everything. A little bit more mm-hmm. in a nutshell. So I want to talk a little bit more about your family. Um, and for those folks, Lake Elsinore is between LA and San Diego ish. Yeah. Yeah. Um, did your family like tag team stuff? Like as far as like academics are, are involved, community involvement, sports? Um, yeah. It was, I mean, so Again, my my dad was working very, very long hours and he was, you know, he wasn't on a set. You know, I work Monday to Friday. Uh, He works at an oil refinery down in Torrance. Um, And so his hours were very up and down. So so a lot of it, I'll say early on, stemmed from my mom. Um, You know, she is a librarian, elementary school librarian. She's been my whole childhood. And she was very big in academics, but her biggest thing was if you started something, you finished it. That was her biggest rule from as early as I can remember. If that was a new class, a new sport, cotillion I did for a while. I mean, anything, if you started it, you had to finish. And that, luckily, that along with my older brother, who is the smartest human being I feel like I've ever met, um, academics wasn't something that um, was a challenge in terms of motivation. Um, you know, getting things on deadlines and all that's always a challenge, but, 
um, yeah, they had a very good approach, you know, from that. And then the, say like the chores around the house. So I'm growing up, you know, my hair is growing out. I want a haircut. Well, my dad said, until you're strong enough to push the lawnmower, cut all the grass and properly unload it without having grass all over the front yard, you don't get a haircut. So we had little, <laughs> yeah, like little incentives and yeah. stuff like that. So then it, it, it became almost like this competition, this game. Can I get strong enough to push the lawnmower? Um, am I, you know, clean enough to wash all the dishes for the house so that I can have dessert, you know, like little stuff like yeah. that. They would t- turn into these little games um, and they just worked for us. They spoke to my brother and I and, and we kind of got our ambition. That's where it first started to just test the limits. Yeah. So you got to work hard to play hard. Exactly. Now, th- but I hope you know that there's something about you that did that instead of just growing your hair out. <laughs> you <laughs> yeah. know, cause some kids exactly. are like, all right, yeah, just rebel. Watch this. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But I said, okay, you're gonna you're gonna put a challenge before, you know in front of me. Watch me do it. And I didn't realize I was creating a thought process, a, a, a plan of attack to a situation. I didn't realize that that was happening in the moment. But I would just be damned if I couldn't achieve something. If they told, and it wasn't, you know, it was never really anything negative. It was just. Basically, if you want to be a man, this is where it starts. And that I think my dad did that uh, as early as I could remember. See, now that, that fascinates me because if you go a little bit deeper, right? Like I said, some kids just won't get a haircut, mm. <laughs> right? So mm-hmm. the fact that you're stepping up a challenge and looking for and, and scheming and it kind of you know, goes back to grit. Now, is it nature? Is it nurture? Well, that's a bigger topic that I don't have the, the bandwidth to really get into. Mm. In fact, someone's interested in that, Angela Duckworth book um, called Grit. Oh, yeah, I've heard of it. Yeah, yeah. it's fantastic. So mm-hmm. uh, I read it like a long time ago, so I don't remember it well enough to really pull um, stats out of it, but there, there's a correlation there. And she studied at West Point and people, and even some of the special forces, right? Mm-hmm. What, are, what, are, what are factors in someone that will make them successful at whatever that thing is? And it's grit. Yeah. And then they started looking, well, how do you build grit? Like, it's not necessarily like speed or size or athleticism. Because people, I know you know a whole bunch of dudes that have that. And then might not, they might be missing grit. Yeah. Or resilience. And so, I don't know if you know the answer, but you kind of you answered it early on. But I really want to highlight that whatever kind of like parental art that your parents did mm-hmm. created that level which is super impressive. And somehow they can figure, figure out what exactly that was. I think, um, yeah, I actually ask them all the time because, you know, we, I feel like my brother and I have positive stories and, you know, we've seen a lot of our friends start strong, not finish or never even embark on something. And to this day, my brother and I were, we're four years apart. We're very, very close. His name's, you know, Devin and, and we, yeah, we're always asking them, like, you know, how did you guys get us to be this motivated? And a lot of it, especially my mom's response, is just when she saw a, a interest, a particular interest in us, just try to stimulate it. You know, like in your story that you shared of a teacher taking away that dream mm-hmm. or that ambition, if I said, hey, mom, okay, I want to play soccer. 
I want to play basketball. She's like, well, the season is this long, so strap in. And just that um, kind of propulsion from your parents, you start to feel like you can do anything. And then, you know, in that, you'll, you know, a child will learn his lessons, he, you know, he or she's lessons. And I feel like, you know, to a certain extent, that's where just, just that, that positive reinforcement. And then when it came to things like education and stuff, then it was like, wow, you know, I learned one thing. I wonder if I can learn two. I wonder if I can learn three. Mm-hmm. And then they just constantly, you know, built think, that up. I think I can kind of put my finger on it, something here. And that is. Like they, they, in a way, have created this safe, like a safe place for you mm-hmm. to spring forward, but also a safe place to fail. Yeah. Yeah. And that's important. Yeah. Because, and I, and I think about this with instruction or teaching, because imagine like you're doing something and you know, uh, let's say you're, you know, you're, you're at practice and you know you have support from your tight end coach. Mm-hmm. How much better does that feel versus that, thinking he hates you or he doesn't like you? Yeah, and in cases that can be everything. Right? Yeah. And so I, I think there is something to that. To, to, there's strength in allowing failure and strength in setting it up sometimes. Because mm-hmm. again, hey, you want to play soccer? Okay, it's this long, strap in. That's not saying it's going to go well. No, not <laughs> right? at all. A lot of times it was like, okay. We'll see what happens. I'll be there. We'll be on time every day. And, you know, at the end of the day, if you don't like it, we won't do it again. Or if it doesn't go well and you choose that's not your path, then so be it. But, yeah. All right, we're going to keep circling back to this topic. But I do want to point out, because this is going to keep coming up, that you grew up not playing football, which is not the whole point of this podcast, but you played soccer and basketball Mm -hmm. and at some point in time you decided to stick more with basketball. Yeah. Now how did that work out? That was actually a very simple decision. That was a financial decision. (laughs) So I was starting to grow, started to get, you know, my hand eye was, was coming. My foot eye was starting to come. And, uh, in two days I had a tryout for a club soccer team for a club basketball team just to try out for the soccer team was $180. The basketball trial was free. Therefore, there we go. That was simple. Now, how old were you there? Um, at that point, I was uh, 10 years old. Oh, I wanted to get in. Yeah, I was, you know, I'm seeing these superstars growing up, seeing the Lakers, seeing Kobe Jones in the galaxy. And I had little dreads at the time. Oh, I was, I was a big sports fanatic as far as I can remember. So I wanted to start embarking and creating a journey. You know, um, okay. Besides, cause I'm a, I just want to highlight the childhood. You had soccer, you had basketball. Did you do any other like, um, like individual sports or any other like, um, I tried, let's see. I tried baseball. It wasn't for me. Even gymnastics, karate, basically any rec sport that was available mm-hmm. in our city. I gave it a shot, um, and I actually, when I first started, I hated basketball. I did not have good. My hands were okay. I just had speed. I had speed and athleticism, and that's why soccer was perfect because I could just outrun everyone. I, I did track and field for a bit, um, but those were the two main sports that spoke to me. All right, and just so everyone knows, six uh, five. Yeah. What do you weigh right now? Two forty eight. Two forty eight, and that's because of the football, but going uh, prior in basketball around 220? Yeah, 
about 220. And what, when did you figure out you were bigger than everyone else? So I've been this size since I was about 14. What? Yeah. Were you driving? Oh, <laughs> you would think so. <laughs> no, my basketball tournaments, if we didn't have a birth certificate, then, you know, there was a lot of apprehension. 14, so. you've got to be at least 30. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I was, I was a very big kid. I thought the, you know, shortest I was going to be. Was it like is, that scene from uh, Bad Boys? Oh, yeah. All right. Cool. Every, everywhere I went. Ludicrous. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. Exactly. And um, I thought I was going to be 6'9", six, 6'10". Six, I was like, man, I'm just shooting, you know, jumping out of my clothes, you know, all this stuff. And, I mean, the first time I dunked a basketball was 12 years old. I was oh, like 6'1 and a half, and I was already getting above the rim. You know, so I was humongous. So I knew if I stick to this, something good's probably going to happen. How, do you, how are you that large and that athletic and that fast and jumping that high? And how are you avoiding football? Well, when I, when I was first growing up, I, you know, getting that big that fast, playing football was based off your weight. So I was a humongous kid mm. and I wanted to play with my friends and my friends are all teeny tiny kids. And I'm this big, gigantic yeah, kid that's got to play with the high schoolers. I'm like, I don't want to play with the high schoolers. I already know the sport's dangerous. You know, like I see it on TV. I see how hard these kids are getting hit. So, or these men are getting hit. So I was like, well, if I can't play with my friends, I don't want to play. And you know, as a kid, that's, that's, that's it. You know, you don't think about it again. And I could play basketball with my friends. I could play basketball with my dad. I could play with anybody. So that makes sense. Yeah. You know, uh, God, you brought me flashbacks from pop Warner and weight <laughs> and the whole thing. Cause I have to go sit in a sauna before games. <laughs> it's like 12 years old. I'm like, why am I I'm in the sauna trying to make weight? <laughs> yeah. No, I was, yeah, ain't no sauna going to bring you. No, down. no, no. Mm -mm. So, you get to, uh, well, even back it up, you're starting to excel at basketball. Mm -hmm. and, and so how do you make the leap from Lake Elsinore to, to Harvard-Westlake? Yeah, so that, that is kind of where I realized that there's something good I can get out of sports that's not necessarily sports-related. So when I first started playing, I was playing in a local travel basketball team and um, I'm bored because I'm so much bigger than the kids my age. I don't feel a challenge. And I grew up playing with my dad and my brother and his friends. And now my brother, he's about 6'3", he's stockier build. He's truly looks like a football player. My dad's six foot, played running back, middle linebacker and all that. So these are big men I'm playing against as a little boy. We didn't call fouls, mm -hmm. you know, so I'm used to very physical, very aggressive. Um, and basically, you know, we, it's all about pride in the household. So when I first started playing with, with my group, it was, it wasn't stimulating and I somehow lucked out. I, I wish I could explain it more, but I'm playing on a, a, a you know, 10, 11 year old team. I started getting to middle school when I'm finally playing travel ball and about three or four tournaments in the best team in the state of California at the eighth grade level walks up to me and says, do you want to play? It was called Team California. And they had, if you are a basketball fanatic listening, there was a guy by the name of Demetrius Harris, or sorry, I think that's his name. It's been a while. And he was the future of basketball. He was, they were talking him up like he was going to be LeBron. Like he was, he was on the cover of the magazines and all this. And they wanted me to go out there and play with him. I'm like, 
12 years old. I don't, why, why do you guys want me out there? And from, from that point forward, I always played up. And in that, um, I made a couple friends uh, out here in the Los Angeles area. Uh, one of them being Mike Antanasio. He's one of my best friends. Um, and Nate Bullock, another great, great friend of mine. He, um, he's currently at USC getting his JD MBA. Nice. Yeah. And my buddy Mike, uh, his family, they own the Milwaukee Brewers and um, doing fantastic things. And uh, Mike was currently at Harvard Westlake. And um, I always talk with him about my school. I was at a, you know, a public school, public middle school, and just saying that I, I know when I go to high school, I want to go somewhere where I can really have a good chance to get a scholarship. And he said, well, I... Uh, I go to this school that's, it's, it's not about athletics. You know, if you're going to come here, it's just some of the smartest people you ever meet. And it's going to be very, very rigorous to get in. And that perked my ears up. A challenge. Mm-hmm. Another challenge. I'm like, okay, a challenge. Let's do it. Um, and that's kind of where it all started. And with the blessing of my family, when I told them, hey, we're living in Lake Elsinore. It's about 90 miles from Harvard-Westlake. And I said, I want to go to Harvard-Westlake. And we started going through the process. There's interest exams, interviews, everything, just like college. And they said, well, if you get accepted, you get a big box on the front door. If you don't, you get a letter. And we came back from a basketball tournament. There's a big box. And when we celebrated, we're all excited, whatever. And I was like, so am I going to stay at my grandparents' house? They live in South Central Los Angeles. And I was like, am I just going to commute from there? They said, no, we're going to move. We're going to move. We're going to the whole family. We're going to move to Los Angeles so that you can get this opportunity and graduate from this high school. And shoot, two weeks later, we were in the Valley. We were in Studio City. What? Yeah, on Coldwater and Chandler. We were at a townhouse like that. We just moved the whole family. And it was actually, it ended up being brilliant for my entire family, but that's how, that's how I got up here. Your parents are awesome. <laughs> How'd your brother feel about that? So he's another brilliant guy. He like skipped kindergarten. I mean, he's like one of those kids, his is what was, I can't remember his favorite word. It was procrastinate as like a three-year-old. He's telling my parents, stop procrastinating. He's that kind of kid. So he graduated from high school early and he was still trying to figure out his path. And um, so he was at junior college. He was at RCC Riverside Community College and was trying to figure out if he what his path was going to be, if he was going to play football. And um, moving out here, the junior colleges were better. Glendale, um, couple of different places like that, Valley College. So for him, he was excited about the change of pace. And we all knew that for Los Angeles, the talent's always better. So at the time, he was someone was that, and he always pretty much has vicariously lived through my sports journey. So he was in full support. And our relationship had been married tight at that time. And uh, I was blown away. Everyone was on board for me to go to this high school and to just take a chance. Wow. So you said um, within how much time did did it take from the decision to moving? Probably. We started our process, I want to say, two weeks. I mean, it was was like, yeah, it was right away. I mean, we put the house on the market, started looking at home, started driving to L.A. when we had free time, trying to find a place to live. I mean, it was almost, it was, it felt like instantaneous. And how close was your home to the high school? Um, when I first moved there, we lucked out and we were only about two miles, but we moved every year cause we were renting. So yeah. we moved every year. Yeah. Where was your favorite spot? 
probably the last place. Um, I was like right near Campbell Hall, which is, you know, just another area of the valley. We were living in Winnetka for a little bit. And when we moved there, um, that was when I had, I would say, my fondest high school memories. Uh, My most success in sports, my most success in the classroom was in that time. So that's probably my favorite place. What are some of the highlights you remember from, from high school? My struggle. Yeah. Um, I had never really learned how to study, you know, and at the public school I was at my, I got my grades and I loved school. I always loved, loved school and education. And I looked at my history grade. I had like 150%. I didn't even know how I got that. I just did the, the classwork and, uh, I get to Harvard Westlake. I'm taking a world in Europe history class and um we have our first exam and i'm reading through my notes and i studied for two weeks i'm like okay i think i did great i got a 61 d minus i'm like oh my gosh so next test comes study even harder put in three weeks i'm like all right i got this walk out of the test i feel great i got a 62 and i'm like I'm going to fail out of the school. And Harvard Westlake is very cutthroat. If you're not keeping up with your grades, you're out of there. Um, they have a very, very high standard. And I'm like, we just, I just moved my whole family and I'm failing classes. I was struggling in history and in Spanish at the time. And I had never met with a professor before. Because in public school, if you meet with a professor, you're in trouble. Yeah. So it was the first time I met with a professor and he taught me how to study. And I started studying with friends in group settings and stuff like that. And then I got like a 95 on my next test. And like, that's one of my fondest memories is I, I found out how to do something the right way. I knew I was putting in the effort, but are you doing it in a way that actually benefits you? See, so then you relate to my target. Exactly. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I'm referring to a story. Uh, I have a silhouette target from a qualification course up in my garage. And I was telling him a story about that um, before we recorded and how... I failed and didn't think I was pass and eventually figured it out mm-hmm. and then got 95. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm actually impressed that you remember the scores. Oh, oh I remember those because I aced everything. I had a 4.0. I was that kid, the nerdy kid that's also good at sports. It's like, all right, take it easy. And yeah, I remember that. And then when I got, because Harvard-Westlake um, ninth grade is in the middle school, so we're still in the middle school. And then at the high school level, I was the kid, if you wanted to find me, I'm in the library because that valuable lesson and those numbers were so daunting to me. I would just be damned if that ever happened again. Again, going back to grit Mm -hmm. and resilience. I thought maybe you were going to say because your mom was in there. (laughs) (laughs) No, no. We were staying up till 2 a.m. She's trying to help me. My dad's trying to help me. But, you know, like in all in, in American education systems, the stuff's constantly changing, so they're looking like, I don't know what this is. I'm yeah, just going to yeah. stand here and try and help you. And Yeah, long hours. But that's important. I don't know what this is. Let's try and figure it out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, I, again, that, that space to fail. Yep. Yeah. All right. And then would you say you're more proud of the academic stuff or the sports? For me, it's the academics. The sports, I did my senior year achieve some things that I'm still very proud of. Um, I scored 40 points against, you know, one of our top rivals. Um, we have a, a long rivalry against Loyola high school 
and I had two of my best games against them, and we won outright. We won 26 games in a row. We were like right under our school's best ever team. Um, so there's there's a lot to be proud of, but the to me the schoolwork was, you know, was, I love teamwork, but that was where I had to actually prove to myself that I'm willing to go through something with no one else's help. I had to find a way. Yeah. That um, that right there, I learned in fifth grade that I could do like my own homework. <laughs> I remember, like, I don't remember a whole lot of stuff, man, but like, yeah. I remember a moment sitting at the table because my mom would always help. Mm-hmm. I remember like realizing I could do my own, I'm, I can do this myself, and that was it. <laughs> yeah, just life changing. Like, you're just going to get in the way now. I yeah. got this. I mean, hurry up so I can watch DuckTales. <laughs> But that was the other thing. Uh, it was like I had to, I had to study and get all that stuff squared away before I played. Yeah. So it's always like work hard to play hard. Exactly. Yeah. Do you remember like, a, like was there a certain move or or a dunk or something you overcame in sports that you realized that you were good? And I don't mean good. I'm, but I mean like good, good. Um. I actually realized it in middle school and it's, it, this was, um, uh, it was a big moment for me personally because I was starting to play AAU basketball. People were starting to tell me I'm, I'm good. And my dad, you know, my parents were trying to attend as many games as possible. And I'll never forget this. We were playing, um, as a tournament in Temecula high school, just a small tournament. And, um, I was just feeling myself. I'm like, oh, I'm too good. I don't have to try hard. And my dad got out of work early, drove probably 90 miles that day, sat in bumper-to-bumper traffic on the 91 freeway trying to get all the way out there. And he got there, and I'm basically just BSing. I'm just going through the motions. And he's and after the game, he pulled me aside and said, if you ever embarrass yourself, or our family by your efforts, I will never support you and watch you play again. And that like, I mean, I, you know, getting my father's respect is all I've ever cared about. And that hit me so hard that the next, like I, I went on a terror after that. Um, <laughs> and I remember the numbers cause my mom, she would keep stats and I had two back-to-back games. I had 35 points and 37 rebounds. And then the next game I had 37 points and 39 rebounds. And that's when I was like, I'm pretty dang good at basketball. <laughs> 39 rebounds. It was like, Even I Even though had, they only shot 30 times. Exactly, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I had our team's yeah, rebounds. Yeah. yeah. And I had pretty much most of our points too. And that's when I realized, okay, if I apply myself, I can't be stopped. And I'll see what that means as I go down my path. But I know I have to put myself in situations where I have to really go or I'll just sit here and tread water and think I'm hot shit and I'm not. (laughs) See, that motivation is unbelievably unstoppable. It really is. So you had you were going for your dad's respect. Uh, My dad fired me up. I. uh, I wanted Mike Tyson's punch out. Shows you my generation. <laughs> <laughs> I want Mike Tyson's punch out. And he wouldn't. He's like, all right, I'll tell you what. You score three goals today, I'll get you Mike Tyson's punch out. 
See, now there's two there's two parts of my life. Before that moment and mm-hmm. then after that moment. <laughs> <laughs> I joke around because I'm like, the Terminator eye came out. I was like, this isn't this isn't fun anymore. Yeah. That's it. Game on. <laughs> Just went out. Three goals, halftime. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm, like, I'm ready. Yeah. yeah. And I got knocked out by glass joke. <laughs> but whatever. But the the point of it is is like the parents using certain tactics to bring out the best in their children. Yeah. Exactly. And and I don't know if my dad was aware of it. Um, you know, it started with every time I wanted to play with my brother or my dad. And, you know, oh, okay, there's Gerald, there's Devin, and what's his name? Uh, little Devin. And that was, the, that was the biggest thing. My brother's in high school and his buddies, I'd go play with them. And they, oh, there's Devin and Little Devin. I just wanted somebody to call me Eric. Mm-hmm. No one called me Eric at the time. I was just Little Devin. So that's where it started. And then I started playing with my dad. So then it's like, well, when I go out there and it's five on five, we're playing at the park. I don't want to be the one where like the older guys take it easy because I'm the young kid on the court. So that's where it's kind of like, again, that same, I want their respect. I want them you to- You dunk it on pool saying, what's my name? <laughs> no, no, no. Like I, Ali? No, I was, I was more of a, a smooth operator. I mean, I would- push myself but i'm not gonna talk trash i wanted my game to do all the talking it's always been that way man <laughs> so from high school uh how was your guys team there we we're we we're pretty good we didn't win state we won cif the the you know the regional tournament yeah. um my junior year um but the cool thing i will say is Los Angeles basketball has been very good uh, since my generation and, you know, pr- you know, prior to that. Mm. So the teams that we were losing to, those guys are all in the NBA now. <laughs> so I will say we were good, but we weren't quite, you know, the modern days yeah. and the, yeah. The I feel schools. like um, Crossroads is a good spot that people tend to go to. Yeah. So they've recently, and, the, you know, the little bit I still try and keep up with high school basketball here, Crossroads has gotten very good. Um, when I was playing, it was modern day. It was Compton high school had DeMar DeRozan. Um, Drew Holiday was at Campbell hall. Clay Thompson was at Santa Margarita. So we were playing against these teams with these guys that are now all stars. So give you an idea of my age. I was, uh, Baron Davis was at Crossroads. Oh, okay. Yeah. So you got to see like the best ever at Crossroads. Well, see (laughs) now. Like the guys on our team there, um, were were great. In fact, one of the guys that played on on that high school team went on to uh, is my quarterback. He started at Kansas. Oh wow! Okay. So they were, they were like pretty good athletes. Yeah. Oh yeah. Baron Davis made him look like second graders. He's amazing. Like he has <laughs> so much bounce and power. Am I? Oh my gosh! Yeah. Just a, like another gear that you've yeah. never seen before. Yeah. 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 That was impressive. <laughs> yeah. If you guys don't know, Baron Davis, he played in the, the NBA for, for many years. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know. If you don't know who Baron Davis is, look him up. Yeah. Stop. Look up his UCLA highlights yep. and be amazed. Yep. Yeah. He's got a big old powerful booty and the high booty <laughs> goes right into his back and it's just all bounce. Yeah. Anywho, phenomenal. <laughs> So you go from so how do you go from Harvard Westlake to the East Coast to play at Miami? So I after going to Harvard Westlake, I knew that academics was a priority to me. And yeah, actually I'm gonna pause right there. Okay. Did you have academic all American status like all across um, the board? My senior year I was an academic all American. Okay. Yeah. Um 
the other years I was grinding, trying to, you know, just survive the school. Mm. And I finally, like, it, you know, it came together probably the tail end of my junior year and then into my senior year. Um, sorry, what was your question again? Oh, oh for, how did yeah. I get to the East Coast? Uh, so with all these tournaments, you know, that you play, you get exposure to all these colleges. They come and watch you play. And um, I knew I wanted to go to a good academic school. I knew I didn't want my parents to pay a dollar for the school that I went to. And when it was all said and done, some of the schools that were interested were Miami, USC, San Diego State, UNLV, and Harvard. And those were the ones that... and. Getting Harvard's attention was was very first challenging. of all. You're talking about Harvard and San Diego State academically. Yeah. I'm like, wait a minute. Yeah, and you well, it's same with UNLV yep. and Harvard. So that was sorry, Aztecs. <laughs> My dad went yeah. to San Diego right. State. Everyone, calm down. Yeah, but um, I knew I wanted to go to again. Miami was 50th at the time, and. It was taking a little longer for USC to show interest. And with Harvard, they have a financial aid program, but they do not have a traditional scholarship. And I wanted to tell my family that you guys don't have to pay a dollar. So I took Harvard off my list. And um, I really wanted to play in a top conference. And I, you know... Time and time again, the ACC was always the best conference in basketball. And I told myself, okay, I'm this kid in California. And when you go to the East Coast and you say you're from sunny Los Angeles, you know, people got a lot to say. They have a lot of, you don't get a lot of good energy from it. But I always, I liked that challenge. So for me, a chance to play in the ACC, when that came about, I didn't think twice. I said, okay, it's a top 50 school. It's one of the most diverse universities there is. And I can play against Duke and Carolina. There we go. And I committed without visiting. That's how like convicted I was that I'm going to go there and I will just figure it out. I'll go and I don't know anyone, didn't know anyone on the team, but I just said, if I got a chance to play against the best and I'm successful there, then I actually am the best. Yep. So, well, plus it's Miami. Well, yeah, and I hadn't that hadn't had, you know hit my head, and I didn't know that Miami football was a big deal. I didn't know anything about the school. I just knew they were good at academics, and I would play against good talent. And I was like, well, the warm weather would be nice too, but if I went cold, you know, it'll just be an experience. So yeah, that hit. Once I got there, I'm like, oh, this is like vacation. <laughs> what was uh? Did you have any like cultural culture shock when you got there? Um, a little bit. I mean, coming from this area. You know, Santa Monica reminded me a lot of Miami, but when you add in like the flair of South America that you get and the amount of New Yorkers, because University of Miami, because it's so expensive, there's not a lot of people from South Florida that actually go to school. It's pretty much all Upper East Coast. So from that standpoint, it was a little bit of a culture shock because I just hadn't been around that many people from the other side of the country. One of my first experiences when I went from L.A. to Northern California mm-hmm. to Davis was I saw a cow in person. <laughs> I'm not even lying. That's like I was driving into like the administrative office and I saw I couldn't believe how big it was. <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> I'm like, oh, my gosh. How does anyone tip those over? Oh, and actually, now that you said that, the biggest thing actually when I first got to Miami is I went to the beach and there were no waves. 
and I loved boogie boarding growing up. And I was like turned off at it. And this is South Beach. You know, yeah, everyone yeah, yeah. loves South Beach. And I'm like, but you can't boogie board. Like, what am I supposed to do here? Like, I wasn't thinking, oh, you drink, you party, and you know, yeah, all those other yeah, things. Yeah. I was just like, I, if I go to the beach, it's just too quiet. I want to hear the waves. I like sleeping on the beach. And I was like, blown away. I was like, how, how do people, why are people even here? <laughs> <laughs> I can picture you showing up and like, and uh, like your boogie board shirt off <laughs> you got your flippers yeah and it's just i mean it's obviously it's beautiful warm yeah. water and all that but yeah and then there you um you enter in obviously so there's this again a couple uh, a change in in size speed intelligence and stuff on the court mm-hmm. and so how did that drive you um on the West Coast, I had created a name for myself. They knew I was athletic. They knew I could do all these things. And I, it started with my official visit. Like, I committed, and then I went on my official visit. And um, before I left Harvard-Westlake, I got actually too big. I was 220 during my high school season. By the time I showed up at Miami, I was 260. I ended up having to lose the weight my first summer there, but I knew that if I went there, I'm not going to get beat up. That was my biggest thing. I was seeing these guys in the ACC and how strong and physical they played. So I said, when I get there, the first thing I'm going to do is make sure all my teammates know that I'm not soft because I'm from California. So on my official visit, I was just running into stuff. I mean, it's just like barely even playing basketball, just letting them know when I get back, you guys know what kind of guy I am. And they still talk, my teammates still talk about to this day. They're like, what were you doing? <laughs> <laughs> but um, it wasn't as daunting as I thought it was going to be. It was mainly just the play recognition. Those were some of the, you know, learning the system and how the flow of a college game goes. Because I had played so much basketball that it wasn't totally brand new. But it was still something that when you're a freshman in college, that's that is your biggest challenge or one of your biggest challenges what was it like leaving your family that was the hardest part um i didn't realize how much i was going to miss them until i got there um and at the time my brother he had left for college about a year prior and that had been a big challenge um in that same time i lost my godmother my mom's best friend of breast cancer and our family living out in Los Angeles where we didn't have as many friends in the network that we had back in Lake Elsinore, that's where we got very, very close and learned how to really support one another when we went through stuff. Um, and, you know, I'm the baby of the family, so I was worried about my parents. You know, everything has been so geared around our success and giving us this open window um, I was worried about how they were going to do. So that that was definitely, that it was hard leaving and, um, you know, not knowing what I was getting into. Uh, where'd your brother go to school? He went to Northwood, a D2 in like Midland, Michigan. Okay. Um, Either way, gone. Like, yeah, gone. Long gone. Yeah. Hard to get to three, you know, two, three flights just to get to his university. Yeah. Do you remember... Uh, like the moment when you walked away from your parents, like it was it to go get on the plane? Mm-hmm. I do. I had two big suitcases and it was like, all right, I'm 18. Don't really know what that means, but this is the time I'm supposed to go. And my dad would always joke. He's like, I can't wait for you to get out of here. I just want to go hang out. Now I ain't got to worry about you. And, and, um, 
Oh yeah, I remember that walk. I didn't get emotional, but I was just like, "Well, I guess we'll see what happens." Because I made my decision, so I'm not turning back. Um, and it was one of those like, "I'm really gone," and my friends are gone, and my brother's not around. It's like, so how am I gonna do this? How am I gonna be the person that I said I was going to be? train keeps moving exactly and that was that actually started with one of my trainers he was coach he was on our coaching staff and he used to say that to me all the time said no matter what happens in your life the train keeps moving and it doesn't stop for anyone so if you think that life's gonna hold up because you hit something that train's gonna keep moving and yeah that kind of that stuck with me and it kind of became my little motto and my family's motto and just a heads up that's also the for for the listeners the the hashtag that you're always using. Mm-hmm. And that's why I put it in the intro just to give people some context of what we're talking <laughs> about here. So that's like a pivotal moment in a young man's life. I think the like even just physically walking away. Yeah. Right. And that's mm-hmm. why I'm, that's why I'm, I knew you'd remember that moment. Oh yeah. But everything you had all the tools, you know, your parents did a great job. Yeah. Phenomenal job. <laughs> right. And gave you the tools, even the thought process that you had. And then how you excelled. So how do you feel your college career went? The way I always describe it is I learned a lot of lessons. It didn't, didn't go well. Um, every year I thought about transferring. Every year I thought about leaving. Every year I felt I made the wrong decision. Still to this day, I think, what if I would have just went to USC? Um, it challenged me in every single way, uh, you know, in my personal private life, educationally, in every way. It brought up something that I didn't know I needed to learn about myself. And when I when I reflect on my college career and my graduation, it, yeah, that's I don't really see it as this beautiful thing. And I'm not one of those people that's like gung ho about my university because it was just this big blessing. It was this place that I went to that made me grow up. Yeah. Boom. <laughs> what was the the like? Do you remember the day, in the or the moment you decided like you try football? Yeah. So. um the end of my senior year, we lost like the second round of the ACC tournament. And going into my senior year, I told myself I'm going to continue to play sports and I got to put in the work. That's a really long story I can get into if you want me to. But um, at the end of that, we met with our coaches, uh, Coach Laranega, the, the head coach, University of Miami and and the associate staff and all the seniors. It was four of us. And. They asked us, so what do you want to do when you graduate? And, you know, everyone's talking. I say, hey, I want to play in Europe. You know, based on my career, I knew the NBA wasn't, it was a long shot or basically not even an option, um, just learning about the league. And so that's what I told them. And then on the flight home, um, they follow up with you and say, okay, well, we talked as a staff and this is how we're going to help you. So we have, I have this long talk with my head coach and uh, he says, well, kind of got this, this weird scenario 
Um, one of the area scouts of the Denver Broncos who had lost to the Seattle Seahawks in the Super Bowl that year um, is interested in you. And they've been contacting us for several months about working with you. They want to work you out and see if you have what they called football traits. Are you interested? And I, I laughed in his face because I was like, you know that like, I don't even watch football. Like, I went to a couple college games mm-hmm. and mainly just tailgated. Like, I, I'd, mm-hmm. I would be excited if I knew where the football was. Not, I didn't know anything, offense, defense positions, didn't know how many people were on the field. And, um, yeah, we get off the plane, the whole flight. I'm just, like, shaking my head. Because like, football tried to come up many times. Like, you asked me about youth football. In high school, the coaches were asking me. My senior year, I started working out with my brother when he wanted to go to college, and I was doing the footwork drills. I'm like, "Ooh, I'm 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 kind of a natural at this." Yeah, but I'll stick to basketball. I don't want to get hurt. And then I was um, just a bunch of little scenarios. And when that came about, and I told my brother that because we were living together, he ended up getting his master's out in, in Miami. Um, and I told him you wouldn't believe the information I just got. And he started laughing. And of course, he's like, well, I mean, it makes sense. Look at you, man. You know, you got the you got the shape. You, you know, you got the work ethic of a football player. And um, I couldn't stop thinking about it. Didn't know what it meant, but couldn't stop thinking about it. And um, in that time, a, a mentor of mine now, uh, his name's Jimmy Graham. He's tied in with the uh, Green Bay Packers. I had met him once when he was originally drafted to the New Orleans Saints and my athletic trainer at the time put me in touch with him and he's a guy that played four years basketball at Miami, one year of football and then got drafted. And he said, I think he'd be a good person to talk to about if you want to make this transition. So I gave him a call. He actually answered and um, he first thing he told me, he said, well, Football is not fun like basketball. It's going to challenge you in ways that you don't want to be challenged. So you need to figure out why you want to play football, why you want to play and go down this road. And when you figure that out, we work out at 8 a.m. And that was kind of how that whole moment That's started for good, me. That's good, wise advice. Yeah. He's, uh, he's an, I could go on forever about Jimmy. Jimmy's an amazing guy and he's having, there's a reason why he's having the success he's having. But that moment came about, started training with them in that two week span. I reached out to that scout and said, yeah, let's do a workout. And, um, didn't know anything. Had never done, you know, the combine drills. I'd done the NBA combine drills, not the NFL combine drills. Actually, at the time when the app Vine was really popular, um, Miami's Pro Day was the day that I contacted them and said, I want to do a workout. And But I said, I don't want to do the Pro Day because these guys have put their time in. And, um, and you're talking about the football Pro the Day. The football Pro Day, correct. And I watched their drills. And then I went and just walked through them for about a couple of days. And my brother, who played football at the D2 level... Um, he taught me a couple little catching drills and then I went and did my workout and the numbers I put 
up that day. I was all on hand clocks and all that other stuff. But technically, it would have made me the number one tight end coming out statistically off my 40 time. All right, let's talk all about that stuff. 40? Um, hand time, it was four, five, seven. Dang. Yeah. And I had a 37 inch vert, standing vert. The only thing I sucked at was the bench press test because I, we did not lift like a basketball team, but we didn't live like football players. So I didn't do nearly as much reps to put me up high. Eight. It was, uh, 14. Cause I could bench 365, but that's a, that's a different, that's a different thing to rep out 225. Exactly. You have Which to, by the way, I think is a stupid test. It, it It's no indication of your football yeah. talent. No, <laughs> I didn't participate in the combine, yeah. but I watch it and I'm like 95% of this is just to see if you can handle what they do in a combine. Now that I've learned how the week goes. Yeah. Yeah. Four, five, seven. And that's with no like 40 coaching. Cause you know, those guys going into the combine yeah. have like months, years technically, but are constantly, that's like a, like an Olympic sport at that time. No, the scout, he taught me how to get into a 40 stance. Yeah, like that's how green I was to football. He said, okay. And even that, like being able, understanding how far apart to put your feet, where to apply the weight, how much put, weight do you put into your, your, your hand that's stabilizing your body weight, what to do with your other hand, mm-hmm. how, do you, how do you drive and keep your head down and then come up out, you know. I didn't, uh, yeah, I just put my hand down. He said, go when you're ready. Man, so you probably would have been, you know, I don't know, I don't know how much. I would have at least been in the high four fours if yeah. I had proper training. Yeah, that's like yeah. a tenth of a second with some some of that coaching. Yeah, easily. And at six five, two twenty, then. Yeah, probably probably at that point I was like two thirty, two thirty five, maybe at the most. Yeah. 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 Hey man, people are too big and too fast nowadays. <laughs> like that's supposed to, that was used to be like a fast receiver time back in yeah. the day. Yeah, and it was when I saw the time, I was like, because I, I had for fun tried to run a forty and stuff like that, but never really got in the stance and done like the real style. And I just asked him, I was like, "Was well, that fast?" He was like, "Uh, yeah." And this was like very early in the workout. He was like, "This." number right here just changed your whole like what we're going to do the rest of the day because i know that you can actually run so instead of some of the things i was thinking because he was trying to figure out do you can we make you play offense or defense he said oh you're really fast and then after that we ran and he had me catch passes and a blessing our quarterback at the time stephen morris was throwing because he was getting his time in front of the same Mm -hmm. scout and we threw routes for, let's say, 30 minutes. And I didn't drop one pass. Caught every single one. They're gross. Like, they're ugly. I've seen pictures of them, but <laughs> the ball never touched the ground. And he's like, are you sure you haven't played? I'm like, I threw around at the beach with my dad and my brother. But no, that, that's it. <laughs> so they, so they put, the, put you through these, like, measurable tests, right? Mm-hmm. So, that, so they have some, some stuff to write down and, and compare. Mm-hmm. But, but there's also a lot of... Like football testing, that isn't necessarily something that you can measure. Yeah, and I'm, and I'm also saying this for 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 I know you know this, but for the listeners, so mm-hmm. like, like how you run an out route and catch a ball. How do you actually? There's no like grade. Well, maybe some scouts they break it down. Yeah, like how does you come out of 
how does he come out of a stance? Like, how does he come off the cut? Like, mm-hmm. hands? Like, is he catching his body? Blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. But there's also the, all the intangibles, and that is your ability to quickly move your body in a way and position yourself to catch a football. Yeah. So even prior to that, were they considering, like, defensive end, outside linebacker? Well, they were saying tight end. I think, and a lot of that may have stemmed from Jimmy Graham's success. Yeah. Um, and on the basketball court, I was the guy that was catching the lobs with one hand and or two hands, sky and making these plays. And yeah. I think that's where the interest in me playing offense came up because they had seen I have just a natural knack for catching, just catching it. You know, it wasn't a basketball or football time, yeah. just just catching in general. Yeah. Uh, and that's something that's like a. a like the hand-eye coordination can be taught. Oh, it was. Oh no, absolutely. But some, <laughs> but some people you can do that. You can spend all day, and they're still going to catch the ball goofy. Yeah, then no, that's that's right. very true. And so you have to have this like natural, like at least at that level, a certain platform that's already there, and then you build off of it. Yeah. Man, what was it like catching a like? Do you remember like the first few routes you ran and the first few throws? Oh yeah, remember I'm like there yesterday. Cause I didn't know that there was cadences, you know, like they don't, I thought everything was just like set, go, but you know, they go through color number, white, 80, white, 80, all that stuff. And, um, when I first got to Indianapolis and I actually, it's funny, um, they have your playbook on an iPad so you can go and look at old stuff. So I went and watched my first ever plays and yeah, I just basically they told me to run to the right. I was like, okay, I'll just go that way so my footwork's terrible but it was always the same thing never dropped it or if i did it was very very rare and early on it was trying to teach um your soft hands like when you (laughs) when you see someone that and you know they don't have a natural knack for catching it's like a cat they try and stop something in the air as opposed to you see guys make the little diamond with their hand and then the point of the ball comes through and early on, that's what I'm doing. I'm like clapping. <laughs> I'm like, I can, I can time it up real nice so it looks pretty. But, oh, yeah, I, I'm catching it and I'm running. And I, I just come and I ask my coach, uh, was that good? And he's like, yeah. He's like, you suck right now, but it's good. It's a good start. <laughs> so, wait, when you have the, the, the workout with the Broncos, because mm-hmm. we're going to talk about Indy, but you have that workout. Talk to me about that journey and that path from like that day and how you got to the Colts. Okay. So after that workout and when it went as well as it did, um, my brother had the bright idea. He said, why don't we try and get more interest? Like, yes, you have one team, but there's, you know, there's, there's quite a few more teams that may be interested that might need a tight end. So I was like, all right, what do you want to do? And he said, well, why don't we make a, a Twitter page? And I'm like, nah, I don't, you know, I don't, what, for what? What's the purpose? And he said, let's make you a Twitter page. Tweet at the NFL, at SportsCenter, at, and just tell the world that you're going to play football. And let's just see what happens. I'm like, all right, whatever. I can, let's just try it. So you can go and look at my Twitter account now. My first tweet is I'm entering my, my name into the draft. And... Probably by that next morning, 
my phone didn't stop ringing for weeks. I met, I talked to at least 25 teams. I worked out with, I think 10 total and they wow. were, and most of them, like some of the phone calls were as simple as, are you Eric Swope? Yes. Uh, are you really planning to play football? Yes. Okay. Bye. Like it was, you know, some of the mm-hmm. teams and then some of the teams were actually like interviewing me. What are your motivations? What's your family? Have you, do you have any issues with the law? All types of stuff. Do you have any children? All these things. Um, and yeah, for like the last half of my senior semester, I'm going in class, walking out of class, taking phone calls and or doing interviews. And the coolest moment in all of that is my dad loves sports talk radio and he's always watched the Jim Rome show for as long as I could remember because he makes this long commute and he always listens to the Jim Rome show and I got to be interviewed on the Jim Rome show and that was the that's like the fondest memory I have before football started was my dad sitting listening to the radio hearing his son talk to Jim Rome yeah that like it like it makes me nostalgic every time because it was just so surreal to like hear this man's voice and know he's asking me questions yeah that is awesome so in that he has a podcast by the way does he really oh i gotta go look it up but so so in that uh, i had a really good workout with indianapolis and at the time almost half their coaching staff had either been to or had something to do with the university of miami which was just a coincidence and a blessing at the same time the head coach chuck pagano worked at miami went to miami um, the tight end coach, uh, Alfredo Roberts at the time and his backup, Ch- Rob, uh, Chedzinski, who ended up being the OC when I was there, they were all there. So they told me basically, if you come here, Rob once worked with Antonio Gates at, with the San Diego chargers at the time. And he said, look, I've helped a basketball player transition. If you come here, I have somewhat of a blueprint. Obviously it's going to be on you, but I'll teach you how to play football if you come here. And that's why I ended up going undrafted. It came down to Indianapolis, Green Bay, or Denver. And I picked Indianapolis. There's something else uh, about football. Uh, even, even even high school but and, and moving forward, that is something that I don't know if a lot of people realize. And that is how important politics plays in sports. Ooh. And I don't mean like 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 Republican politics. No, no, I'm no. talking about like, like personal politics and where you end up and playing time and relationship with coaches. There's an entire thing there. Yeah. And it's very complicated mm-hmm. and sometimes you don't find out until basically it's over and you're like, Oh, so I was, nothing was wrong. I just wasn't a part of someone's plan. That was kind of what happened to me in college basketball is we had a coaching change and I love my coach. We have, you know, a good relationship now, but when I first got there, he didn't know me. So he's like, well, I know everyone else. So I'll yep. work with those guys. <laughs> yeah. There's so many like, how, <laughs> wait, like be, being from LA might actually get in the way of playing time or oh, yeah. someone have someone how someone it feels can, about you. It can be the wildest things. Yep. It could be, yeah, that you're from LA, that you got both your parents, that you had a happy childhood. It could be anything and and yeah, you'll never know. You just kind of find out as you go. Uh, and again, to kind of circle or highlight what I mentioned earlier is that th- that's what I mean by some of those external forces that are outside of your control. Mm-hmm. 
don't let it stifle your will, which can be frustrating sometimes, right? When yeah. you, when something happens, you don't feel like you deserve it, or it just sometimes it's always about timing. Yeah, I said sometimes it's always about timing. <laughs> it's always about timing. There we, <laughs> there we go. But that's my point being like, and, and and the cult is a good example. So if that coaching staff hadn't had that connection to Miami, having nothing to do with your ability to play football, mm-hmm. it still affected you. Yeah. Yeah. Big time. So that's just something I wanted to, I wanted to point out. All right. Now let's, I have so many questions about this, but I like just this and this idea and just a little bit of history. I, I played about 16 years of football. Oh, wow. I started okay. when I was a kid. Okay. Like, you know, like pop Warner. I don't know. I was playing flag early on. I think my first, tackle football started when I was in sixth grade okay and then ended up going to um play through um college played at Santa Monica City College mm-hmm. when Chad Johnson and Steve Smith were there oh wow yeah this is when Chad Johnson <laughs> by the way before Ocho Cinco he was Boo Boo the Clown all right <laughs> and how he was and how you know him now and like and, and how he was in the NFL and everything he was just like that in junior college he was he was at SMC for four years to play too because he was messing around his <laughs> academics were a mess but yeah and then uh steve smith who went on and played 16 years uh like a super stud unbelievable by the way the most ferocious human being i've ever been around yeah like the most ferocious athlete i've like, heard that in so many yeah. levels mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. yeah and he used to work at the taco bell at on bundy and pico oh wow <laughs> best advice he ever gave me scott don't eat the meat <laughs> yeah i uh I have learned my hard way too. Yeah, yeah. Don't eat the meat. I'm like, what do you eat there? He's like, the nachos. <laughs> so, anyways, for you Taco Bell fans out there, but that's Steve Smith, most ferocious. Uh, so, so having an understanding growing up and stuff, I kind of like here you are in, in going into the NFL, having never even put on shoulder pads, nope, or helmet, or what even like. So this is where I, I I'm gonna like veer off because I have so many like, what does the helmet feel like the first time you put it on? Um. That was the hardest part. It the was helmet. The helmet. Not the shoulder pads, not the hitting, the helmet. The biggest thing being I couldn't see as well. I wasn't used to having a shallow viewpoint or just something squeezing my brain. And knowing that this is my, supposed to be my protection, is that was definitely, I mean, my, my neck being sore, my back being sore, getting into my stances and not being able to see in front of me. Cause when I first got my helmet, it wasn't like perfect. So it, it sat so low on the bridge of my nose that when I would get in my stance, yeah, I couldn't see anything. And then my coach would be like, so what happened out there? I, like, I have no idea <laughs> <laughs> on top of the fact of literally not knowing I literally couldn't see. So that was very, it took almost my whole first year. It took me to get used to the helmet. Oh, wow. See, that's what I'm talking about. See I learned the helmet thing like when I was a little kid. <laughs> yeah. So it wasn't even a thing. Yeah. I was like, oh, what kind of face mask I want to do this year? Strap <laughs> okay, it's good. All right, my chin strap's good. All right, check. Let's go. Yeah. You're not even, I didn't even realize like these little like muscles in your neck have to stabilize it. And Oh, man. It was every day. I'm just laying there feeling like I, I mean, I'm not even really hitting people at the time yet. This is before we really start tackling like in our off season training program. And my neck is thrashed. I'm like, oh, how am I going to get used to this? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was. What about mouthpiece? That was fine because I had 
danced around with a mouthpiece in, in college basketball. Like I practiced in it for a bit. And yeah. so that one, that one was okay. Um, early on with shoulder pads, not being able to reach above my head because you have to catch everything in front of you. When I, my first training camp, that's when, uh, that lesson, all of a sudden I went from, I don't drop anything to, and now I'm really like actually having trouble catching. So that was, uh, that, that was a pretty good challenge there. Do I can just picture you putting the whole uniform on the first time, like, like a cat with tape on his feet. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it, how do I walk with this? Oh, I was asking my teammates, did, you know, do I have it on right? Is this how, is this how, you know, it's supposed to look and. You know, because everyone's got a ritual, you know, yeah. they, some people wear socks, some people wear tights, you know, all these little things. Right. And I'm like, well, this is what it looks like on the video game. So I got my socks and my shoes. And that was the biggest thing was like, you know, basketball, you just put on a jersey and go like in football. I got to make sure I got my equipment because if not, you know, something's off. If I got two right hand gloves, you know, like, yep. like silly stuff like that. Uh, even learning gloves. Oh, yeah. That took a while to find the type of glove I like. All kinds of stuff. <laughs> and by the way, gloves are not necessarily like, yes, they have stick to them, and I'm sure they've progressed over the years. But the thing that I noticed with gloves is that they don't necessarily catch the ball for you, no. but they kind of help stop the ball from spinning. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of like for perspective for people who haven't worn them before. Yeah. You can, you can stop it in its tracks, but you do have to be able to catch. It's not like the movie Little Giants where they put the stick and glue yeah, on your yeah. hands. Yeah, it's not quite like that. So I remember reading an article and you were kind of, this came out, I don't know, probably four years ago, and you were talking about how, like when you first got there and you are learning to play football, how it felt like a child mm-hmm. or like when you were learning the gear. There's so many little things to talk about here. <laughs> but the, that, again, here you are, um, a shot at making an NFL team. You're wearing NFL gear. You're wearing like Indianapolis Colts attire and helmet and everything. So outside of that, like reality, I'm kind of curious, like what, what was that like for your parents? Um, my dad was thrilled. You know, he played high school football. He saw my brother playing. And from the moment I broke the news to him that I'm interested in football, He's a humongous, I mean, he could be a sportscaster. That's how well he knows basketball and football for that fact. But to hear that his son is going to play what he felt or what I would say is a, a, a tougher sport, he was elated. I mean, he was sending me articles, TV clips. He's watching TV at the house, and then he sends me a recording from you know NFL Network. Hey, you heard of this guy you should go read on this guy you should go look up this guy and he was thrilled my mom her fear was that i wasn't tough enough she was like well you know you're tough on the basketball court you were the bruiser so to speak in some you know to some capacity but you haven't had where someone's trying to run through you and she i'll give her credit though she never really voiced that to me she rather just tried to take an interest in okay how are you enjoying the sport like when the season was over she then told me about her fears but in the heat of it she's like well at least you're not going to europe (laughs) at least you're still in town and who knows how long you're gonna play and she just kind of she 
it was one of those like i'm supporting you but i'm not at the same time so it was like oh you know they say football careers are less than three years so you know we'll see and i had to give her very honest information about how i was really doing because yeah she was just so worried about the concussions and the impacts and yeah I'd like to say, though, and I, and I pointed this out before, that no matter what you do, moms are going to worry. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So it's like, now granted, playing football at the highest level possible <laughs> in a sport where everyone is really big and fast and very violent versus you going to the grocery store. You know what I mean? There's still going to be some worry there. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You be careful. You, don't, you know. Yeah. So that's that's in, innate in parents, but especially in, in moms and, and their and their little gigantic boys right <laughs> exactly um do you remember the first time you actually got like hit really hard oh yeah first training camp day one in pads it's like third day camp they normally give you a couple of days to warm up and we're doing blocking drills and we're going against our outside linebackers basically our competition on the other side they're most of those guys are virtually our same size they might be a little bit bigger um depending on the team or whatever but I was going to get a teammate of mine and his name was Eric Walden and he was known for uh, some of the guys they basically use the crown of their head or like their forehead to essentially like spear you to kind of shudder you and to work their moves and we're doing one-on-one blocking drills so it's not really football related it's just like a toughness drill and I didn't know that Eric did this and so we go on our cadence and, you know go Boom, and he hits me right in my forehead, and it was like the world stopped for a second. <laughs> and I like buzzing, my head, my you know, my mouthpiece almost came out, and I was like, "Ooh!" You know, I held on, I fought through. You know, if you watch it on tape, it just looks like I got hit, and I just kept going. And then I'm like, you know, I get to the side, I'm like, "Ooh, my neck, my shoulders, my collarbones." I felt that through my feet, <laughs> and I'm like, "Oh my gosh!" Like that was the first time getting hit. And then I have the story of first time getting hit in a game, which, if you you know, if you want to hear that, I was, certainly do. Okay, so but prior, I want to point something out. There are certain athletes, certain de- defenders that I remember that tended to have, and I don't know what it was, but their head just felt harder than everyone else's. Yes. So it sounds like he was one of those. He guys. was one of those All guys. Right. Yeah. So my first time getting hit. And was essentially the first time I also caught a pass. So Sunday night football against the Houston Texans in Houston. And we needed a lift offensively. There we always would get into it with them. It was, you know, our big game, our big conference game. And um we're six games into the season and I've been dreaming about how my first catch is gonna go. Um and that just so happened to be the breast cancer awareness game. So I have uh, I had signed a small deal with Nike, so I got my fancy pink shoes. They got their all cool pink gloves. So I'm kind of feeling myself. And late in the game, uh, kind of like creep out the backfield. I catch a pass and take off for 35 yards. And the only thing I'm thinking while I have the ball in my hand is, oh, my God, I got the ball. So I'm literally around, oh, my God, I got the ball. I got the ball. I got the ball. And I'm not thinking about the fact that someone is coming to hit me and that being 6'5", and at that point I was probably about 258, that I'm a big guy. 
out there. You know, some of the defensive guys that are, you know, in the backfield can be under six feet tall, under 180 pounds or in that range. So I'm thinking someone's going to hit me in my chest or kind of like in my ribs, not that someone's Mm -hmm. going to take my knees out. And I have a very hilarious picture. I think it's actually on my Instagram of I'm running up the sideline on Houston's uh, bench side and uh, this defensive back just saws my legs. And the picture is me, my face on the ground, my feet over my head. And I did like a somersault front flip and all this. And I just popped up and ran back. And he runs next to me. He's like, oh, I know you felt that. And of course, you know, I'm just hustle back. Oh, I'm good. I'm good. My leg was black and blue for the rest <laughs> of the week. My teammates were like, all right, we got to teach you how to stiff arm or something because you can't keep taking these hits. That's got to be why. First of all, I would say why Gronk is like, yeah, I think I'm going to retire because he takes he's so big like such a gigantic target whenever yeah. he caught the ball around i was like yeah oh my god oh my god yeah oh my god because oh i mean he's he's taken a serious beating and being their number one threat guys are going to try and take you i mean that's the part of the game they're going to yep. try and slow you down you're the guy that keeps the train going for them yep. and um mm. yeah Whew. so he like all those hits, like even your most basic like hit, like I'm just, I look and I'm like, ow, just ow. <laughs> and I know the body gets used to it too, like everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But still like for perspective, it's like, I don't know. Imagine getting hit by like a big old heavy bat in the side of your leg. I don't know. Yeah. It's like, but That's, harder, but yeah, more mass. Exactly. I mean, some of the hits because, you know, the advancements in our protective gear literally just feel like a shove just like an abrupt shove because you didn't know someone was there or you know because of the helmet but i'll say not every hit hurts and that's even coming from when i first started when i first started i'm like oh okay i mean i'm saying i'm getting you know you look on tape and you hear the noise and all that but it's just it's the materials they're made to deflect the energy but yeah there's are those are those ones and you and if you watch enough football you see when Everyone pops up, but the one guy gets up just a hair slower. Mm-hmm. That won't hurt. Yep. Oh, yeah. And th- but then you also have like the little, like your fingers get smashed. There's all the little things, uh-huh. like the, the little boo-boos that you, don't ex- that you would never notice. Mm-hmm. That dislocated a finger, torn some tendons. I like broke the tip of my pinky because we were playing and it was like 20 degrees outside and the football hardens when it gets cold. And, yeah, I just broke the tip of my pinky. Didn't even know it. I was just like, oh, man, my finger's kind of sore. I took my glove off, my finger sideways. Hmm. like yeah <laughs> you're like hey hey someone fix this yeah can can we tape this up please <laughs> oh my gosh what was it like playing with andrew luck that's that was awesome i mean it's been awesome he um we had a lot in common uh him going to stanford a lot of kids from harvard westlake go to stanford so we actually kind of knew uh similar people in our circles um some of them being athletes at stanford um He's the type of person, if he didn't tell you that he played professional football, you'd never, ever, ever know. Ever know. He is basically just a brilliant human being who also is physically capable of anything. And he's one of the smartest guys I've met, hardest working guys I've met. And what he's been able to achieve is a testament to his dedication. I mean, of course, you know, as an NFL quarterback, you get a lot of opportunities, you get a lot of investment, 
But if you don't succeed in, in, in the NFL and professional sports, they get rid of you real quick. And to see his perseverance through his injuries and everything have been pretty remarkable. And, 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 and you know, we've, we've gotten a, a good friendship through that. Uh, mo- oh, man, how many? You've gotten four touchdowns from him? Three, but really Three. four? Yeah, exactly. Three, but really four. Was that fourth, uh, the preseason? No, the fourth was actually what should have been my second one against the Patriots. So they downed me at the one. And the rest of the year, I watched end zone plays, and they ruled them touchdowns. <laughs> so mm. it bothers me so much. By the way, I do want to – so I said I was going to revisit this. So this is when we were talking uh, via text or, or direct message on Instagram or something like that. Mm-hmm. And I was – and I had mentioned something about like, oh yeah, you know, I'm looking really looking forward to doing the podcast, yeah. you know, even though you score a touchdown against my Patriots. <laughs> and then I'm like, and that, but you were so like gracious and humble, like, yeah, you know, they played a really good game. You just put it all back on them. And I was like, ah, oh, this guy's awesome. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, to me, as a, it doesn't matter what sport you play, but to the Patriots' success, you have to respect. And. I mean, Yep, McCourty could have he could have he could have made a better play on the on that ball. But. <laughs> but I mean, at, at that point, I mean that was got us closer yeah. to win. But um, I was just humbled to to be able to play against the Patriots. You know, you know, not too many years ago, I never even thought I was going to play football, and then to play against the Patriots, and it was Thursday night football. And my girlfriend Brooke, she is the biggest diehard childhood Patriots fan and I flew her out to the game so it was as much as the scoring and all that the week before I had gotten cut um, they had just brought me back a couple days before the game Uh, I had to kind of learn the game plan not in my normal like seven day plan it was more like two and a half days didn't even know if I was going to get much of an opportunity. And then I went out there and had the game that I did. And one of my best friends from high school, from Harvard-Westlake, was there. And my girlfriend's there. She's getting an opportunity to see her team. She never thought she'd see Tom Brady or Gronk or any of those guys in person. That was a game that was bigger than me. That was bigger than the moment. And so when you reached out to me, I didn't know you were a Patriots fan at the time, but when you reached out to me, that I was just in this like almost state of euphoria in that week because all of this journey had come to a, a huge moment, right? I want to, I want to play and do well against the Patriots. I don't know what's going to happen. And then to have done that with those people watching, I, yeah, I've just elated. And I, I, I realized when something's bigger than you, how much it can impact. And, you know, I'm 26 yeah. going 27. So I'm still learning a lot of those very, very valuable lessons, but that was definitely one of them. What, like, what does it feel like to score a touchdown in an NFL game? Like the world freezes. It's the coolest, like, to look down and you see whatever the color is of the end zone. It's so hard to score in the NFL. Like, I can't stress that enough to any football fans that are watch- or listening. It is almost impossible. That's what it feels like with how complicated and creative these defensive coaches are how you know same on the offensive side when you score it is like you know like you won the you won the battle you won the battle within the war and the couple of times that i've gotten that opportunity 
it yeah like you that's when i realize i'm playing in front of 70,000 people or 60,000 people you know the cheering or when the crowd goes silent when you do it on the road and just knowing what that just did for the other 52 men over there that are grinding putting their life on the line for this game and that in that moment it was your moment like oh man it's it's and that's what my buddy jimmy graham told me he said you think dunking on someone is fun and like you know you feel good you flex camera you know whatever just wait till you wait till you score and yeah every single time i've scored it's like one the first thing you forget is your touchdown celebration <laughs> that's the first thing that goes you're like you know i was game planning i was doing my is little it, dance in your back pocket oh yeah you but the moment you score it's like oh i'm here i don't have to like go and get back in the huddle or nothing is happening and whoa that's six points and you know I'm, i know i'm gonna be on tv from this is national football league and what am i you know what's my family thinking and don't look like a fool you know it's all don't drop it you know you're thinking of all these things it's um yeah each one is like this little blip it oh man it's amazing that's like a that little feeling and obviously i can't relate to to that level but the excitement to be able to one you made it like i'm here yeah is there like a does it get quiet for a second like are you are you perceiving the reality or is it just like, is it, does time slow down and then speed up? You know what I mean? Um, like I'm glad, slows, I'm glad you noticed the color of the end zone. Yeah, that's always the first thing. Um, to me, it slows down like not even seconds, like milliseconds before the ball hits your hands. Because... You've repped this play yeah. like a billion times for the coaches to feel comfortable to call it. So that's the first phase. You, yeah. You've scored that touchdown like 20 times. And you might have done it all season until they actually call it. And then you run the route. You fill it. Whatever. You beat the guy. You know. Oh, yeah. You know, quarterback's got to be looking. And then there's like a second where you're not thinking don't drop in any of those things. There's just a second where... Like for me, it's like eyes catch tuck. And that's the only thing that I'm thinking because I know people are coming to knock the ball out of my hands. So I'm just thinking eyes catch tuck. And then boom, boom, boom. And then I look down, I see the color. And then it's like, <laughs> you know, it goes crazy. <laughs> and so th there's another thing about this, that particular touchdown that I want to um, point out is that we haven't gone like chronologically through your career. No. So we're not. We haven't gone over like, uh, you know, undrafted, practice squad, active roster, injury reserve, cut. Mm -hmm. and we, we can, but it. But the, what my point in saying this is that you have you had gone through a complicated and stressful, I imagine, journey of injury, of some setbacks, of practice squad, mm -hmm. of not playing football, to scoring a touchdown against the Patriots on Thursday night football. Yeah. It's um, in front of the right people in the right time. Yeah. So I, I, I want to point that out to people. I also give you props. I'm really glad that happened. <laughs> Thank you. The, the business of the NFL is kind of nasty. And it has to be, right? Cause, yeah. But when you're going through, like, does anything you do in the NFL feel, in a way, like extra credit? Like, 
I was a basketball player, and now whatever's happening here is kind of like extra extra credit. Um, there's well, there's times, um, but the biggest challenge with professional football and the and like the honestly, I would say this ninety five percent of professional football at least is handling stress. That's they you know you got long hours they you know all these meetings. You practice for a couple hours and then you have another round of meetings where basically everyone tells you that you did everything wrong. And then you go back the next day and you try and fix it and show the coaches, the scouts, the general manager, the owner, your teammates that you're listening and you actually want to be here. And that battle happens the whole season. And, you know, and then there's injury and then there's your health, your diet, your weight everything in the nfl is a finable offense so then there's the 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 aspect of providing for those around you for your significant other for your children for your families all of those pressures you you being the success story so you can't fail when you're the success story and knowing that in all those things this is also supposed to be fun <laughs> that's like the first thing that goes when you're going through all this stuff and you have to constantly remind yourself that like I am playing a kid's game for a living and people watch me do it and they get excited when I do something one out of the a hundred million times that you watch. Well, where do you find the fun? The fun to me is when I see myself grow, you know, coming from not knowing the sport, not knowing the language, which was the hardest part, to I can sit with my teammates and talk football. That's like a big revelation. Like, oh my God, like they just talked about a play and I actually know what they're talking about, or especially my quarterback, because he's a brainiac and he can just create a scenario in the blink of an eye, like faster than the coaches. And I'm listening to him and I'm like, oh yeah, I can envision that. Yeah, you learned a new language. Yeah, oh literally, literally learned a new language. Um, those are the fun moments. And then of course it's a team game. So, you, you know, you get good relationships with your teammates, with the training staff, with the, you know, all those guys. And, um, you, when I first started it, it was not fun. It was barely even enjoyable, but again, kind of going back to my childhood that since that I'm not going to shy away from a challenge, just, I couldn't. Oh, essentially like put my hood on and just go. Um, and I started to have fun or yeah, it started to get fun when I realized these are the handful of things I'm good at because at first it was just trial and error. Like the coaches literally, they don't know. I don't know. So let's just say, we'll do this. We'll put weight on you. We'll try this. We'll do these things. And then after a while I'm like, Oh, I'm good at this. I'm good at that. Well, that's fun when I do that. And now I have a great joy when I play. Was there a certain point where you stopped feeling like a basketball player? Almost instantly. Um, I, I, you know, I, I didn't really get into this, but my senior year, I, you know, I said like I would be damned if I didn't continue to play. Well, the amount of time I put into my senior year was the most sacrifice for me that I had ever made from dieting to training everything um with the you know 
help of my, my brother and one of my close friends to have the senior season that I did that I felt open these, these windows. And when we lost my senior, you know, in the ACC tournament, um, it was the first time I didn't get emotional after the end of the season. I was just at peace. I said, look, I did everything I could. I can't, like, I literally can't think of anything else I could have done to get to this moment. And when I first chose to play football and just go through that scouting thing and it went well, and when I, when I got on the flight, the same moment my parents were there for my graduation because it was my birthday, I graduated, I signed, I flew. It was like all in like a three and a half day span. Didn't even get a chance to celebrate graduation really. Um, and when I got on that flight, I said, well, you're a football player now, so figure out what that means. And the biggest issue that the coaches had is they thought I was going to leave at some point just because it was hard. But in my mind, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm an NFL player all the way, baby. <laughs> what are some of the early, early like, pieces of advice that you remember that's kind of funny to look back on when you were learning football? Um, so on top of training with Jimmy Graham, um, the University of Miami has a long lineage of very, very successful football players. And they all trained in a group together. So at the time, it was Jimmy Graham, Andre Johnson, Santana Moss, DJ Williams, Jonathan Vilma. Um, the list goes on. Olivier Vernon is all these guys, right? And obviously The Rock. Uh, <laughs> I actually haven't met him yet. I'm very surprised, to be honest. Um, but so I'm training with all these guys and they're putting me through the ringer because they're like, well, you're the basketball player. You didn't play. You're not really a part of the U because you didn't play football at the U. And so, you know, any, any time we do a, a conditioning, whatever, I got to go first. And silly stuff, right? Mm -hmm. um, but in that, they like conversations I would have with Jimmy talking about because I'd ask him, like, you know, have you had success? And he said, well, I did it my way. And he was like, that's going to be your biggest challenge. Because in football, there's the team aspect, but then you're a professional athlete. And in this day and age, you're your own brand. You got to make sure that you stick to that. Because they're going to try and mold you. And, like, you know, he... He's doing awfully well. He was making $40 million at the time. And he said, well, they didn't pay me $40 million to block. They, they paid me to catch passes. So that's where I'm going to focus. And each guy that I talked to kind of had their version of that same story. You know, some of them are first rounders. Some of them, you know, had to work their way up. But they each said their own version, including Andrew Luck, had their own version of you've got to do it your way, whatever that is. And no matter what happens, you have to stick to that. And it may seem bleak at times or, you know, may go awry, but you fix it and make sure it, it blesses you. And that I feel like was constantly reinforced even to this day when I went through my injuries and all those things. So that's. That's been like a good message. Football has a lot of quotes and stuff because mm -hmm. they, you know, kind of relate football to war and, and things like that. So, but that's been the one that's, that's stuck to me. And it's also been in a way my challenge because I'm, I've always been like the ultimate teammate. I'm always there for you. I want to build my teammates up. I could go a game and not score points in a basketball game, but we won. So we won. Yeah. 
Yeah. And, but there's a difference between that and being a professional athlete. Do you think that goes, kind of goes back to what some of those coaches or recruiters, not recruiters, but uh, scouts were asking you about your why? Mm -hmm. It does. Yeah. Because, you know, some people would say it's a bad thing if your motivation's money, but for some, that's what works. I want to feed my family. And you maybe learn down the line, you know, down the line that there's more to it than that. But yeah, that's where they're trying to figure out why are you really doing this? Are you doing well, first this? of all, let's let's just go ahead and say that that's what jobs actually do. Yeah, right? like, yeah. You, you do a job for money. If you if you like it, that's like an awesome thing, <laughs> yeah, right? Exactly. But that's generally the concept of how that works. Yeah, yeah, and you'd be surprised. Um. Because it's such a large amount of money that comes so fast, that's where they, you know, when you're being scouted, where, yes, logically, like you said, that's how a job works. You, you know, you put your time in, you get paid. But because of the fame and the mm -hmm. fortune and all that, then that can be actually held against you. It's, it, again, the politics. It's very, mm -hmm. it can, that, if I would have said, oh, I just want to be rich and famous, it could have been that. 10 other teams were like, well, we want the guy that's got the fiery spirit like that. Where the Colts is a, a franchise that takes pride in the humble spirits. Again, the stars just kind of aligned that the Colts was a team that fit me. Do you remember uh, like, like any big purchase or any like your first thing that you bought with any NFL money? Um, well, my first playing year when I actually – you know, played all 16 games and I didn't know that we got performance bonuses. Like I thought you had to sign a big deal for that, but, Oh, um, I thought you had to, to, to sign a deal to get those incentives, but there's actually a player performance bonus literally for just being on the field active during plays. And my first year playing, I got 160 grand extra on top of my contract. And that's what I bought my car with. So that was probably, the big one. Um, aside from that, when I first started in the practice squad, you make a lot less. And I gained so much weight that I had to throw away all my clothes because I put on 30 pounds in like two months. How'd you do it? Peanut butter, ice cream? What are we talking about? Uh, just, I, at, well, in basketball, I was following like the paleo diet. I was very, mm -hmm. very strict. And basically, I just took the restrictions off because my body's always wanted to be bigger. And I was being very restrictive for basketball. I kind of felt and that was the other thing with football is it almost felt like a stress reliever because you have to contain your emotions on the basketball court and football, they want you to unleash. So in that was also my weight. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I just let myself get big. Lots of pizza, uh, pizza, pasta, everything. I mean, anything that you enjoy, like your real delicacies you enjoy, I was eating. I mean, I was trying to keep it healthy for the most part, but nah, everything. You know, when it comes to nutrition, uh, and I don't want to derail it too much, but the, the struggle I had with paleo, and it sounds like with you, is that it's a quality control thing, paleo, yeah. mm -hmm. but also there's a quantity um, challenge in it because yeah. to get the, the like, proper quantity, because most like carbo uh, carbohydrates, as the American culture knows it, as a, like a, the white flowery carbohydrate, mm -hmm. it's easy to get calories in there. Yeah. But when you take that out of the picture 
and you're like getting carbohydrates and stuff from vegetables and stuff, you got to eat a massive so, amount of vegetables. So much. Like a massive amount <laughs> to equal like this little here bowl of grain. But, yeah. So that's like a, you know, I can understand and relate to um, how that can keep weight off. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, yeah, bring out pizza and everything. <laughs> yeah. Pizza's like Gaines food, you know? It's the best. Yeah. I, yeah just, you can, anytime you're like, I just, I want to feel really good and really bad at the same time while well, I'm just going to crush pizza. So you have, like, obviously we're talking about the, like the newness of football mm-hmm. and the challenges. Um, we, we touched on the politics. Um, can you describe to, 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 well, to me and the listeners just briefly your journey and what it means to be on active on uh, injured reserve and why you're on injured reserve mm-hmm. and practice squad. So practice squad, especially for me was an amazing scenario. Um, you are in every way a part of the team. Um, you basically just don't play on Sundays. It's, it's the equivalent to red shirting at the, co- at the collegiate level where you sit out, but you're still an active participant. So, being a practice squad player, you go against the starters, you know, and, in, in, in a regular football week, you know, you present the other team's offense and defense. So for two years, I got to go against the Colts starting defense. Um, and I got to find out what I'm good at against the guys that make the big bucks. Um, and, but you know, with that, like, you know, like I said, you don't play on Sunday, so you don't get recognition. Your name's not getting out there. You're not having tape for the rest of the world to see. Are you on the sideline? You are on the sideline at home games. You don't, we didn't travel. Okay. Um, like kicking it with the, like in the over, uh, the warmups and, yeah. and stuff. Oh yeah. Yeah. You're just hanging out. You're talking to the guys, getting them hyped up. And I was the person, uh, our coaches were very big on, um, you know, studying and preparing like you're a starter. Because the other side of the practice squad and football is injuries. By the way, before we even get to that point, mm-hmm. I want to point this out because to get to a training camp is really hard. Really hard. Most people, especially if you watch Hard Knocks, you kind of get an idea. But you get to a training camp. Most of the people there don't make the team. Period. Mm-hmm. And then to be able to make the practice squad on an NFL team and especially in like in the season is incredible. It's, Not only is it, it's like so it's like impossible. Yeah. So I, I we we're saying practice squad, like, like, but really, holy crap, man, yeah. you're, you're on the practice squad on an <laughs> NFL team, like for real. Yeah. So I'm just, I want to, that's not something to say lightly. No, no. Cause yeah, you start with 90 guys and you have to get down to 53 and then in an actual game, 48 play. But then you carry, you can carry up to ten, you know, practice squad members. So it ends up being sixty-three. Um, so yeah, it's it's very you're very much scrutinized because if you give the defense a bad look, you know, everyone has a role mm-hmm. on a football team. So if you're a scout member and you're BSing, then they they send you home. Every Tuesday is the NFL off day. Every Tuesday through the entire year, guys are getting hired and fired. Like literally training camp, you make the roster. Yay. Guys get cut. Like they make the cuts on Monday, Tuesday, guys are gone. And they didn't even get a chance to to suit up, to play in a game. And then by the end of the year, almost every year that I've been in the league, you don't even recognize the locker room by the time the season's over. They've made so many changes. Guys have gotten hurt. 
injury reserve, which I know we're going to touch on, but yeah, it's to be a practice squad member and to be available playing for the entire football season is a very, very big deal. And it's very much scrutinized. And you did that for your first two years. First two years I played my first game. Actual game was the last week of my second season. Um, one of our tight ends, I think it was at the time where we had some guys down Yeah, and uh, I still have the voicemail from my old general manager telling me that he was going to give me a chance to play and basically don't let me down. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, that was the first time that I played in a game. I just played special teams. I had like one rep of offense and you know, it takes a long time to get a quarterback stress. So, you know, quarterback. No, absolutely. Yeah. But you still suited up for an NFL game. Like, yeah. that's, was it a home game? It was. So you got to run out the tunnel and everything. The tunnel and the smoke and the now, you know, yeah, all that, all that. I got to. In- Dude, what are you thinking? Like, don't fall down? Like, how's that? Oh, yeah. I'm thinking don't trip. <laughs> don't step on my shoelaces and fall on my face. <laughs> I'm, I'm, you know, I'm on the sideline because I've done the preseason, but there's like, you know, not a lot of people there. So it's one of those, you know, I look up at the Jumbotron. Oh, it's my face. Ah, like, ah, <laughs> you know, I haven't seen myself in, in, you know, people want your autograph and, and trying to figure out why are you on the team? And, you know, it was um, the actually one of the biggest things that I didn't know on top of not knowing anything about a football game was I didn't know the flow of a football game, an actual in-game experience. I hadn't actually been it like I've practiced for years preseason but I hadn't gone through the actual ebbs and flows. I've only watched them on the sideline. So I didn't have a routine. I didn't have a warm-up routine. I didn't have a mid-game halftime routine. I didn't really have much. I had somewhat of a post-game routine. But I never played a sport where you're there for like four hours. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. like there was all these things that started to come up as my first game came. And I'm like literally still working on them today. That's never it's never perfect, right? No, never ever. What um when did the injuries come? Injuries came after my first full season playing. So my first year played all sixteen games, scored my first touchdown, blah blah. You know, everything is So born. that's technically like your third year. That's technically my third year. Okay. Um all signs are pointing up. So now I'm going into year four um, and early in training camp, normal day. I don't recall anything in specific happening, but I get back to my locker. I look down and my knee is as big as my quad. No pain, but it's humongous. Um, And ended up having to go and get surgery and start that whole process and um in my mind i had never had surgery before i broke my nose and had it fixed but that's like you know nothing serious but this is my first time being operated on and having to really go through rehab and it was a very bumpy ride my my body didn't respond well um you know i I had a lot of mental challenges family challenges you know i was used to always competing um having to teach myself how to walk you know a lot of those things they really ate at me 
And then when I finally got back going, you know, after all this rehab and all that, then I just was very aware that my body, it was like when you, you know, you pull out your charger cord and it's tangled. That's what my body felt like. It was like, I got the tools back for the most part, you know, getting it strong, all that good stuff. But it's like, I'm walking straight, but I feel like I'm walking sideways because my body's like, well, we haven't done this and muscles have turned off and they're still waking up and all these things. And that's your nervous system. Yeah. And it, and I, I just didn't know that that's a part of recovery because I, never gone through it mm. and like my mom's had both her knees replaced but she's not playing professional sports mm. um and yeah it was just every like now yeah uh, i feel like i could be a, a, a spokesperson on how to take care of a knee but i mean the you still when you're on injury reserve as a football player there's this pressure that you need to come back and be better than you once were or as close to where you left off and there's also a pressure to, you know, we want you to rehab. We want you to get right. But we want you back as fast as you can go. And there's an a inner struggle with, am I being a bad teammate if I take more time? Or am I letting someone down by taking more time? Because the season's so finite. You get 16 mm-hmm. opportunities, you know. And it's this four months where all the pressure's on. Um, and after the year I'd had previously, there had been some changes to our roster to really kind of open up the floodgates for me. I felt like it was my, my big break, you know, every, everything kind of felt like it hadn't gone right. Yeah. They they had let go of a tight end, right? Yeah. They had let go of a tight end. He joined your Patriots Mm -hmm. and had, you know, I'm so happy for him that he's now a champion, but some, you know, some changes have been made and, and I'm like, Oh wow. You know, I'm, I got a role now. You know, like we were talking about coaches and people supporting you and all that. Well, this was the first time I had a, a designed role. I knew what I was supposed to do to be a credible player on this team. And then it all just went away and I didn't even really know why. So then I had to find out, you know, what happened to my body. So it was, um, it was very daunting as trying to, you know, I'd never been on pain medication, you know, and I was irritable. And I'm a very happy guy. I mean, it's... You know, I've been angry, like angry only like a handful of times in my life. Um, and I'm irritable. I, I don't want to be around people. I just feel miserable. And then I'm trying not to sit there and say, you know, what was me? So it was, it you know, was that's, there's your, one of your grieving, mm-hmm. you're grieving a crack in your identity. Yeah. You lost your purpose. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was. Everything in my life, you know, since about age 10 has been revolved around sports and my body and getting it right. And I was the rehab junkie. And now I have this injury and it's I went from being the the available healthy guy to now they are labeling me as injury prone. It's like the worst words in in the sports vocabulary. You know, is that you, you know, they always say in football, your, your best ability is availability. And now I'm having trouble being available. What do I do from here? Did anything click? Um, yes. So as my body started to feel better 
and I actually was working with the amazing, amazing physical therapist by the name of Dr. Judy Seto. She was the Lakers team doctor. I know for, exactly who she is. Yeah, yeah. she's amazing. Yeah. Um, I started working with her out in LA and she was the one that kind of brought to my attention, like, you have been putting in twice the effort and getting half the results. So we got to fix that. And that was kind of like my come to moment. And since then, in my, you know, transition out of my rehab state, that's been my goal is to figure out how to get the most with my time and with my dedication instead of just like aimlessly running around. Yep. That's, but there's also, I mean, how is it now? We good? We running around? Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. We're good now. Yeah. We, you know, this, uh, any football season, whether you're injured or not, it takes toll on you. So there's always a recovery standpoint. But um, yeah, every, so me. that was year. Oh, one, two, okay, so three, where that happens. That was going into year four. Year that's four, what happened. So and then this past year was year five. And is that the most amount of time? And you you're able to stay in the Colts program at that time. Mm-hmm. And then you, when you came back, was it back to practice squad? No. So when I came back. Um, we'd had a, our, the entire staff that was there when I was there is now gone. Um, and it's back at training camp and now it's impress these people that don't know anything about me. It's literally like a reliving my sophomore year of college. It's like Andrew, good teammate of mine has all these great things to say. And they're like, but we just don't know you. So I guess we'll see what happens. And I'm, I did enough. Uh, I didn't think they were going to keep me. I, after going through that change in college, I just figured, okay, you know, I'll do my best. But the cool thing about training camp is you, you wear one jersey and 31 other teams are watching. So the goal is at the end of training camp, you have a jersey on your back. So in my mind, I've loved Indy, but change is coming. And they kept me. I was literally told my girlfriend, I, I, I don't. I don't even know how to feel. I, After that camp, were you on the active roster? Yeah, I was on the Sweet. active roster. Yeah, I made it. You know, the knee's good enough to keep going. It's getting better as I, you know every day, and um, yeah, I'm I'm in it. So I'm like, so just trying to make as much as I can out of my role. So going back to maybe it's different, or maybe uh, you have some insight here. But when I we were talked about going back to having fun, or what's fun. Mm-hmm. Right, amongst all the stress and the politics and all the stuff that you had, you had mentioned before. Mm-hmm. In life, for me, sometimes, not sometimes, but the thing that I go to is the, the seven wonders of the world, like sight, smell, mm-hmm. the ability to um, see and hear, communicate, love, all these things that are just, like, if you were to take one of those away, there'd be some terrible things going on so when you're talking about gratitude and having fun you remember what it's like to not be able to like go jog yeah. or go walk normally yeah so you can run a route get open and catch a pass yeah. just in itself to physically be able to do that to have the gifts to do that mm-hmm. is it's like reward in and of itself yeah all the way and that's what it when i got back playing that's what started to come to my mind like worst you know camp day and i'm just like but i just played in an nfl camp like yeah 
Yep. For a second there, I didn't know if I was going to get back playing. And I'm running past guys now. Like, and I'm healthy. And I lay down and my, my body's fine. Like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> what, um, where are you at now? Um, so I'm a restricted free agent. Um, and hopefully we'll be signing with a team soon here. Most, I, I don't know if it'll be the Colts. Probably won't be, but, um, yeah, I'm in the process of trying to get with another team or with a new team. So are we back to like, should we start a Twitter page? Like how's it work? (laughs) (laughs) Um, well, after playing a few years and the reputation that I've built now in the league, um, now it's just finding a team that wants what you have to offer. I mean, I'm sure social media helps. I'm sure, you know, all those things help. But now it's just making sure that when someone does call or for a workout or when I sign, it's just being available, being ready, Show, especially coming from the injury is just showing them that I'm ready to go and healthy. So what is what is um, for the for the listeners restricted free agent mean? Restricted free agent means, um, so I was with the Colts and when you become a free agent, you know, other teams can offer you deals and the Colts have first right of refusal. Meaning if such and such team calls me, says we're going to offer you a million dollars, the Colts could say, well, we'll match that offer. Therefore I'd have to remain a Colt. And basically that offer they would pick up. So, or they can say no. And then you just go wherever you, you but in that but, but obviously you still uh, training camp and can still be cut no matter where it go you go. Oh, I mean, you can sign a $100 million deal and you can still, they'll still cut you. I mean, it's obviously a bad investment yeah, yeah. on ownership, but yeah, 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 no, anyone, that's the one thing with, with the challenge with football is no matter how good or bad it's going, whatever, anyone can be cut at any time. Do you have doubts? Uh, I try to not let them creep up. Um, let me rephrase. What do you do with your doubts? Normally, just I try and take that energy and put it into my training and remind myself that my journey is not like anyone else's. So if I try and sit and read an article about someone as great as it is, as many lessons as there are, my story is going to be different. It's not going to sound like someone else's. So. When I get my doubts and concerns that am I good enough, you know, will I be fast enough? Will I be accepted by a new franchise? I just remind myself, hey man, you've been in this business now five years going on six. You know, learning another offense is just a thing. I've learned three already. So learning a fourth will be nothing new. You know how to study, you know how to train, so just stick to your, you know, to your plan of action. Hey man, as as big as and strong and as fast as you are and, and as good as you are at sports. I'm far more impressed by your character. Well, thank you. And that's not something that goes to training camp and can be cut. No. Like that's not ever going to be taken away from you. So when I asked about the doubts, right, and then you said that you turn it towards your, your, your training. We all have those doubts. We all have things that pop up in life. We all have little challenges and hurdles. Most of the time, uh, whether they're self-inflicted or environmentally, we can sit there and worry about stuff, mm-hmm. which is like, I think like a human thing. I'm not sure. Like we sit there and we worry about the future. We regret the past. We, we sit and we make a mistake. We think about it all the time, repeatedly over in mm-hmm. our head and we victimize ourselves a bunch, a bunch, a bunch. Mm-hmm. 
but there comes a certain point where you have to think is what I'm doing with that information helping or hurting me. And all that, all that like energy that goes into negative thinking or self doubt, turn it into a positive, like take that energy and feed it into training or feed it into getting better or feed it into thoughts of gratitude. And that's why I think a good little tactic for that is if you have a negative thought that pops up, fill it with three thoughts of gratitude. Mm. Yeah. So like, oh my gosh, um, I don't know if I'm going to be on the Colts next year. Holy smokes, I'm playing football in the NFL. I have all these opportunities and I might end up on in a better situation than I've ever been in. Bam. I don't know. Yeah, exactly. That's just me. Um, the other thing is there's a lot, and I've looked at interviews, I've listened to little podcasts and people talking about you, and that is that you have a like a high production premium, I think is the, the stat, right? Yeah. Uh, a unique set of skills of athleticism, of speed, of, of the soft hands. And I think, obviously, you're still you're still in it. It wasn't like an experiment for one year and it didn't work. Hey, mm-hmm. can we turn this basketball player into a football player? Yeah. To be able to like even hover around the NFL for five years is like <laughs> super solid. <laughs> um, but I think this could be a really cool opportunity. You might fall into a spot that's just like, that's the, that's it. And yeah. then really have like, I don't want to say them showcase your skills, but you in a spot that helps showcase the power of the team. And that's, that's what I've been praying for. That's what I've been kind of putting all my energy toward is I just need someone to believe. I need, I need one team to just believe in me and they don't have to sit there and micromanage. I will get the job done. Just give me that opportunity. And, and that was the challenge is it, it presented itself and then I had an injury. So it's, it's almost trying not to live in the past, but chasing no and knowing when that moment comes how to seize it. All right. So I actually wrote this down at some point when I was preparing for this, which the whole preparation process, I I like enjoy the actual process. Right. But then being able to look up and study and, and do everything that was like related to you was very enjoyable for me. I don't know. It's like, he's such a good dude that to me, it was like, this is awesome. And I was like, I was like, almost like, I don't want to sit down with them. I actually just want to keep studying and watching all this stuff. But something came up and I, and I, and I wrote this down and these were some, some tips to overcome setbacks and it kind of, uh, danced the line between when things happen, you can accept or resent them. Mm-hmm. That's from my book behind me, art of living, but also you can choose to be a victim or a victor, mm. right? It's up to you. Yeah. So a couple, a couple of things that came up and I'm just going to share that this with the listeners was, Give yourself time. So there's, there's strength in the struggle and always learning. And I know you had spoken about being a sponge. Mm-hmm. It goes back to the term Shoshin, which is a, a, a Zen mindset of uh, a beginner's mind. Mm. If you always have a beginner's mind, you have endless possibilities. Mm-hmm. As soon as you close that off and become a fixed mindset, you stop growing. Yeah. The other point, the other tip is don't panic and control your emotions. So you're talking about the NFL and how it's, it's an emotional control game. Yeah. Right. Big time. Dealing with the stress, dealing with the, the ebbs and flows, the ups and downs, the hours, the, 
none of it is really built to make you feel good. Mm. Right? No, not not at all. But being in control of those emotions and, and understanding how to regulate your emotions and understand that you can stabilize your attention. Doesn't matter if there's 70,000 fans screaming or just you by yourself out on the field. The next thing is make peace with everything that happens. That's the hardest part. So I'll go a step further. Having a love of fate and choosing to use it, everything that's thrown at you is for fire, for fuel for that. Mm. And if you have a love of fate and you're using everything that happens as fuel, you're essentially unconquerable. Like you're the beholder of this here Excalibur, right? You become unconquerable. Yeah. So making peace with what happens because you can't control it, right? Not at all. And the other thing was being, uh, and this is your nailing, but being rooted in gratitude and how you grow, grow into the wind. I me- recently did a whole post on social media about a tree and how the trees and storms like grow deeper roots and like rooted. I say be rooted in gratitude, but the soil is like the appreciation. Oh, I never thought of it that way. Well, think about this. Think about like your family roots are so deep and strong that do you think anything that you go through in life is going to phase like the tree? No, not at all. Right? That's <laughs> yeah. what I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah. So in a way, like you're, what's really going to hurt you? Like you've had, you have such like deep roots. You're already there, man. Thank so you. like, I hope you identify as more than just a football player. There's more than an athlete. I, I'll say this for, it's always interesting when you tell somebody that you play professional sports. You, it, the, the reactions can be a, a wide bandwidth of responses. And the first thing I always like, I say, oh, you know, I play in the NFL. Oh, my God. I said, but just remember, it's just a job. It's only going to be here for a little bit. It'll be over. And you'll never even remember that I played in the NFL. I'm just a guy that's trying to feed my family. <laughs> and that's it. Are you happy? Extremely. Yeah. There's a lot of challenges as I've, you know, going down this path, but extremely happy. I got great relationship, a uh, couple animals back at home I enjoy greatly. Um, you know, my relationship with my brother, he just had a baby boy and seeing him as a, as a father and I'm first time being an uncle. Um, so there's a lot of, a lot of very positive things in my, in my personal life. It was said to me before you came on that you're like dancing the line of greatness. As far as the NFL, like Mm. in that role. Yeah. But I would say I kind of disagree. I think you're already there. And whether that remains to be seen on like the perception of coaching staff and whatnot and stuff in the NFL, we'll see. Yeah. Because you're already there. It's just a matter of being plugged into the right political framework, in my opinion. That's <laughs> what it's felt like. And I'll watch games, and I'm like, that's what I do. I, I just, I, like I said, I just need that one team that believes in me, and I'll do the work. So I've just tried to, to like you said, in those moments of doubt, remind myself of all of the many blessings, and then all of a sudden I'm not thinking of those things anymore. Uh, Amor Fati, 
That's the uh, the coin back there. It's, it's the love of fate. Mm-hmm. In Latin, in some fancy term. <laughs> um, if somebody wants to follow along on your journey, how do they do that? Um, Instagram would be the best way. I'll say this. I need to be more active. Um, I've, you know, kind of how you spoke about finding a passion to do these podcasts. For me, it's sometimes finding a passion to want to post on Instagram. Like I, I, I get it how you can market yourself, but if I'm not really convicted, I don't really want to say anything. So, but I will say that's the best way. And I'm currently working on finding unique ways to appeal to who's listening, who's watching, who's reading. Um, aside from that, I would say I, I have a Twitter. I don't really use it a whole lot, but I would say probably Instagram's the best way. On, and what's the handle? Uh, Swooperstar86. Um, just a little fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fun on my name, yeah. So, li- first of all, posting in itself, like, you don't really come across as, as a very vain person. And sometimes doing stuff on social media can feel that way, especially doing po- pictures of yourself. It's yeah. Like, yeah. But you have, I'm sure, like a, a, a good fan base, and there are you're the type of person that should be out there because you might come across a kid or something like that, that really needs someone like you. And so I don't know, man, maybe like think about or focus on, on, on who you're talking to. I don't know if that's going to help framework. Or I'll, yeah. I'll have to, I'll have to work on it. Something to think about. Yeah. One of the recent things I, I feel like if you if you met me, you'd think I'm doing, but I actually haven't been doing is like writing in a journal. And I just started doing a couple of weeks ago. That's awesome. Yeah. And it's like life changing. Like, I feel like I get so much more done with my day. I actually write about what I appreciate, my goals. And like, I know that's something people always do, but you know, sometimes it, it hits you when it hits you. And I do all my handwritten notes for football, but I was like, I need a personal journal. And I've just started, I said, maybe three weeks ago. And gosh, please keep it up doesn't have to be all, all the time or mm-hmm. every day. And also make sure you don't lose that thing. Oh, yeah. No. <laughs> that, I know that'll be the biggest challenge. 10 years from now or 20 years from now, you're going to find it. And it's going to be very entertaining. Yeah. That's it's going to be a very like, like to be able to look back at, at, at like a, uh, a younger you and how you mm-hmm. were thinking then. Because all that stuff's going to change and grow. Oh, yeah. I found, I found a, uh, a little spiral notebook where I used to keep all my workouts and stuff from college. Mm-hmm. So like my weight training, my track workouts, and then my football workouts and, I, and then my notes. Mm-hmm. Like I remember I was like, Hey, I was having, uh, I noticed that I was stronger, um, catching like on my right side with my right hand on top mm-hmm. versus the left hand on top. So, you know, mm-hmm. I'm trying to describe it for, I, I guess you, for the listener, you guys can figure it out. But either way, one <laughs> side was weaker than the other. And yeah. I made writing notes about that. And I'm like, and then just constantly, and then I was like, caught a hundred extra balls on that side. Still feels weird. <laughs> <laughs> but these, it's fun to go back and to find it and, and look back and be like, oh man, that was, that was great. Yeah. Um, I also found some notes that, oh, I'll see if I can find a picture and send it to you. I tore my hamstring in college and it cracked my identity. Ooh. But I found a, a note, a page where I wrote out my goals 
when I came back from injury. Mm. And it was like, like wanting uh, to be the fastest player on the team, uh, to catch every ball at every angle equally, um, to be able to hamstring curl 60 pounds with my, <laughs> with my leg, you know, like, uh, and to be the best that I can be. It was like little things like that. Yeah. And this is you know, a long time ago now. So point being, hang on to your notes. And for the listeners, um, I recommend you guys doing the same thing. Definitely. If you got kids, write something for your kids. Well, again, man, much love and, and much love to your family. Thank you. It's been a blessing. And congrats to your brother. Yeah, yeah. I'm so happy for him. His baby boy, he's healthy, he's beautiful. He's, he's, gonna be a, he's, in, he's in a good family. And to the Patriots, um, <laughs> cough, cough, look over here. <laughs> uh, I hear there's a void at tight end. Still not over that. Um, a couple more tips on overcoming obstacles, and this is something I wanted to share from Marcus Aurelius. Um, objective judgment, now at this very moment. Unselfish action, now at this very moment. Willing acceptance now at this very moment of all external events that's all you need that's what marcus or marcus aurelius said having objective judgment unselfish action and willing acceptance well thank you guys for listening um a little bit of admin stuff um the ccway.com we're gonna be updating some of the strength as a choice shirts at some point in time here we're gonna do a coffee mug uh, if you like the show, please jump on iTunes and give a review there. I'm not going to ask for five stars or I think it's stars. Uh, I want you to be honest if, if you like it. And then please leave a comment. Those things actually, I do read them and they do matter. They help the show uh, get found in iTunes. Um, I also want to thank Eric and uh, Bijan for bringing him to my attention, but also bringing me out of my little temporary pause here to give me the passion again to record an episode. Now I'm at the basketball hoop outside that I put there on purpose, so I'm going to go lock them up. But again, thank you guys for listening. And remember, health is wealth, vulnerability is strength, and strength is a choice. You are the master of your fate. You are the captain of your soul. So get up strong, help others get up strong, and be unconquerable. I'm Scott McGee, and this is The Sisu Way.